Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start. If you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn and has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, welcome back to the Car Chat Podcast. On this episode, we have Paul Wallace, or Supercars of London, as he is known. He is a YouTuber and blogger and social media influencer. That's not a word that anyone really likes, but he has probably over 2 million followers on various social media platforms. This was one of the funnest podcasts I recorded. I was, had a lot of fun, a lot of laughing. Paul is a really funny guy. And we run through all sorts of things, whether it's the there's a bunch of stories that he'd never told, like what happened to drifting. At one point, he really hyped up he was going to have a drifting career and then it sort of disappeared and didn't happen. And then his journey from quite humble backgrounds to now owning his dream car that he had as a poster on his wall as a child, his Murcielago. So we had a lot of chat about various different things and I had a wicked time. So I hope you enjoy it. Right. Hello, everyone. Welcome hello. back. <laughs> to car chat and as you can see for the people watching the video and for the people that aren't watching the video we have paul wallace hello on the podcast aka super cars of london i'm very excited to be here for the main reason that these headphones are amazing and i can hear your voice go straight through it is a really weird feeling having we both got like headphones that feed back the audio and yeah. it's just straight into your head it's like a mix of like tones radio and bedtime story. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine being like six years old and having your dad read you a bedtime story like this. Yeah, like, this that is would the be future. So <laughs> you would go to sleep straight away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once upon a. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you for having me. This is really, really cool. And I'm looking forward to finally getting some questions answered, going through whatever you have planned, because yeah. I know that we've been having this plan for quite some time. We have. I know it's, it's, I think quite a lot of youtubers find that they are creating loads of content and talking and blah 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 but you can't ask questions that someone else wants to ask exactly in a video all the time that is why i love podcast format because you can have an 
uh, I don't know what the, what the right term is, but you can basically just have a chat. And through that chat, people will find out so much more than just through a video, because especially like right now on my channel, like I'm telling so many different stories and different strands that it's, it's quite hard for me to keep up with what's going on. Yeah. But then on top of that, so many people have questions about that piece of content that you're creating that you almost have to do like a, a responding to every, <laughs> sing- video. <laughs> every single time you shoot a video. That be, that, maybe that's the new thing. Rather maybe. than responses to other people's videos, be a response to your own video and be <laughs> yeah. like, look, this is how it came across. But <laughs> I tried that once. <laughs> I was like reacting to my own videos, <laughs> like watching back the edit. And I was like, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> like there was just like nothing. Um, so maybe not. <laughs> yeah, all of the frustration behind that video. And people are like, why does your audio suck? You're like, well, that was the good bit of audio we got from that shoot. And the rest of it didn't appear. Yeah. Okay, so, well, can you introduce yourself and say sort of who you are and what you do? Yeah, okay. So I would probably describe myself as an automotive YouTuber mm-hmm. is probably the best term. Over the last 10, maybe more years, I've been uploading to YouTube. So like right at the early days when YouTube was like a blog, before Google bought it, before they monetized anything, I just posted videos on YouTube of cars that I saw in London because my phone and my family computer kept run, running out of memory. Because <laughs> like, you know you had like those massive computers that were like this big and had like... 32 megabytes so i would go into london film these cars run out of memory on my phone put them on my family computer then run out of memory on my family computer and then have nowhere to put them so i uploaded them to youtube as a sort of very early cloud form i'd run into school and i'd tell like two friends that i knew liked cars and be like yo i saw this ferrari on the weekend check it out on youtube (laughs) and i'd go back on and there'd be like 50 views and i'm like Oh, my friends really like that video. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. How, how did two people turn into 50 views? And over time, I got obsessed with it because the more new cars came out, the more they appeared on the streets of London. And we were used to seeing them on Top Gear and in magazines where I actually saw them in like a real world scenario yeah. and situation. So I felt like I kind of brought car spotting to life. And 10 years later... Here I am. Obviously, a load of stuff has happened in between, but that was like the really early stages of Supercars of London. It's now been running just over 10 years and has definitely transformed and evolved over time. Because when you first started out, you were the first person uploading videos. That, not, not necessarily the first person, but like of people that are around, you started way before most people Everyone else. You before Tim as well, weren't you? Uh, yes. Tim will probably argue differently. Because no, I th- no, no, no. I, I, th- so. I think he, he was definitely doing it, but he uploaded it to his own personal Facebook page. Oh. So he was still finding these cars in London, but I had a channel before Supercars of London. So Su- Did you have a channel with someone else? Supercars of London was that channel. Okay. Uh, but my channel before Supercars of London had a very embarrassing username. Does it still exist? It does. What's the name? <laughs> Sexy Man Bud Bud. <laughs> <laughs> Which was, at the time, I think you're probably the I right totally age. I totally get it. I totally get you're it. You're the right age. It was I had my funky dude. Funky dude. Okay. That's slightly less embarrassing than mine. Not um, much. But yeah, mine was actually, my brother had a Yahoo pool account. So you could like go on, it was like the very early stages of online gaming where you'd basically play pool against someone else on yahoo.com. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And so I set I my username that. up, sexy man, bubba. I was like, I'm going to go beat some people of <laughs> eight ball and then realize, oh, I'm just going to take this username to YouTube. 
<laughs> so that's where it all started out. So yeah, I was definitely one of the first to upload to YouTube because the only other people that I remember doing it at the time was Alex Smolik yep. in Paris and Brian Zook in America. Who was the guy on his bike? Uh, Rich. Yeah. Rich N. Williams. He was also a very early adopter of this because he would basically travel through Knightsbridge to and from work and see these cars and ended up just bringing a camera to and from work yeah. on his bike and filming. So, that, yeah, he was, he was a very early adopter of this sort of London supercar sporting scene. It's changed. Obviously, what you're doing now has changed completely. But the, the spotting scene has changed. It wasn't necessarily... It wasn't a scene at that point in time. Yeah. It was like 10 people. Um, and sometimes less because I would, I would tend to sort of go up on a Tuesday evening sometimes mm. or I'd go up on a Thursday evening. And then at that point, you're there by yourself. And where I grew up, I grew up in Watford. So on the Metropolitan line, but fairly far out yeah. from, from London. And I'll just, you know, throw on some some Adidas trackies and a and a hoodie and 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 run out into the streets of London and going onto Sloane Street back then, like people dressed in fur coats yeah. and three piece <laughs> suits, and then all of a sudden you've got this fifteen year old kid running around with a camera. Everyone's like, What the hell is going on? And how like the amount of times but what are you doing? <laughs> excuse me, who, who is that? And like thinking that it was like someone famous in the cars. Oh, I don't know. I'm just filming the car. <laughs> I totally remember that. Like taking uh, Back in the day, when I say 10 people, I mean as in the entire group of people involved on different days was yeah. about 10. Yeah. And there's, you know, people like Penfold running around yeah. and, and Tom. Yeah. And I remember walking around with a camera taking pictures of some cars and I'd get exactly the same question. People would be like, oh, who's that? Who's that? Who's that famous person? Yeah. You're like, oh, that was Beyonce. And they're like, what? No way! <laughs> yeah. no, mate, that was a Zonda. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine Beyonce driving a Zonda, though. <laughs> I mean, that would be pretty cool. Clicks! <laughs> Over the time, there have been like three or four times where I've actually seen like a celebrity in London. Yeah. I saw Mariah Carey, Rihanna. I saw David Beckham driving a Range Rover. I think that's it, but there are so many times where... I've seen people. Yeah? I saw Rihanna in Monaco. You were probably there that time. I think I've seen Rihanna in Monaco. That was like... Through Casino Square. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She, yeah. Suddenly this person came, <laughs> surrounded by like 400 people. Yeah. And we're just sitting there on a curb. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, who's that? Oh, that's Rihanna. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Eating some like McDonald's fries. That's all we can afford in Monaco. <laughs> Who else? Uh, I've seen someone who has a TDF. Uh, Hugh Grant has I've a seen, TDF. I've seen yeah, him in his yeah, TDF. Yeah. He's kind of like, uh, if we were to compare him to Pokemon, probably like a, a really easy Pokemon to, fi- to find, you know? Like, one of those, oh, not another one. <laughs> that is a great analogy. I like that. Of you, Grant. So who is your Charizard? Ooh. Who is my Charizard? In terms of, like, who I've actually found. Or, or that elusive, because that was, that was pretty up there in terms of rare Pokemon. Yeah. Uh, so I actually kind of, like hit a weird bucket list and i think this is probably where all of your viewers are going to switch off now people have gone like why are you talking about pokemon cards yeah. but for the people that know though they'll, they'll get yeah, a reference. yeah yeah i went to la about three two or three years ago and i went with my girlfriend and we're two big justin bieber fans and obviously he lives mm-hmm. out there and i was seeing on instagram like him driving around in an aventador s in a g65 like i mean who drives a g65 it was the most <laughs> pointless g-wagon anyway the last day that we're in LA we come across this G65 and I'm like oh that might be that might be Bieber and then all of a sudden like it becomes very 
apparent very quickly that it is him and i'm in traffic in like this corvette and i'm thinking <laughs> oh my god i'm in i'm in a cool car he's gonna notice me completely forgetting <laughs> that corvettes are the most common car in america yeah. and he's not even gonna notice me at all and we're like next to him in traffic and i'm like looking up at the g-wagon he's got 100 percent tints but his window's down i can see him just like sort of bump into his music and i'm just like oh my god like this is the best <laughs> moment of my life i'm in traffic with just a beaver like maybe if i dm and be like yeah cool to hang out like <laughs> <laughs> but that was probably the moment where like you know i was there i had it in my head that we could potentially bump into him and yeah, then the yeah. last day we did that's cool yeah even though it's beaver i mean it would have been way cooler if he'd roll down, roll down the window and be like oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't believe I've met you. He actually DM'd me and was like, yeah, really cool to hang out. <laughs> you must have had some people, like obviously lots of people recognize you now. You've got actually quite a lot of followers, not just quite yeah. a lot, a really serious amount of followers yeah. now. I was going through it. What's your total number of followers across all platforms? Uh, I haven't done that calculation in a while, but it's got to be over 2 million. Yeah. Because you have two Instagram accounts. Two Instagram accounts. One which is like dedicated to London Supercars, which is kind of like the sister to the YouTube channel or what started out as a YouTube channel. There's not much supercars in London that goes on on the channel anymore. Yeah. And then obviously I've got the, the one that's a little bit more fun. I feel like I'm a bit more free to post what I want. My audience are a little bit more receptive to just sort of seeing what I'm getting up to, which yeah. is quite nice. So, so at what point did you split those two? I split them when I realized that I couldn't, upkeep the amount of content on supercars of london so i just ran yeah. supercars of london and i was the only one uploading to that my yeah. pictures going into london doing whatever and then realized firstly there's just better photographers out there that are taking better photos of cars and also i was starting to spend more time outside of london and not necessarily with supercars that yeah. I wanted to share those cool experiences too. Like I went to South Africa. I didn't see a supercar in South Africa. And I drove around in like some sort of pickup truck. Or went to Barbados with Sam. Again, didn't see a supercar, but did loads of cool stuff. And yeah. I was like, I need to share this somewhere. <laughs> so I, that's probably when I split them. When I realized I ran out of content of my own content of supercars in London. I also realized that I was using an iPhone and people had proper cameras and were taking amazing <laughs> photos. So I was like, right, I'm going to share the best photos I can find of London on that page and then share my journeys and my adventures on my own sort of personal fun page. Was that a nice splitting point? Because I remember with, with my Instagram, I've, at various times I thought, oh, maybe I should just like do one as just pictures of just cars, blah, 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 blah. And then one, try and separate it as a person. Yeah. But then it's that thing of, People do like a per people like a person kind of more than they like. Yeah, and that was that was that was Tim who told me that hmm. because Tim, even though maybe I was first in terms of taking photos of the cars and uploading them to YouTube, Tim was the first person that brought a, a personality to the automotive yeah. world on YouTube. And I remember we were sat in his bath in central London, stuck in traffic, and he was like, "You know, like if you turn the camera around and start talking about the cars as well as filming them." it will be really good for your channel. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, like what were my friends at school think? Like, I'm just going to like look like this car nerd. No one's going to be able to respect me now. Like no one will talk to me after school. And I made that jump and it was like, the best thing I, I, I could have done, obviously. Yeah. And I think, yeah, pers people, people relate to personalities. They relate to stories. So as much as you can post the objects, the beautiful cars, people still like to see that personality behind so it, it is nice to be able to share those two sides on two different platforms but it, again like it, you're running two instagram accounts which yeah. can be a full-time job <laughs> <laughs> and you don't just do instagram yeah 
Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and I'm being told all the time that I need to get on like TikTok and Snapchat, which I just can't get my head around. It makes me feel really old. Yeah, I um, I I, I got TikTok the other day. Yeah, uh, I was talking to James, and he was like, oh, "I posted this video on TikTok, and it got like a bazillion views, and I didn't do anything." And I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I'll get an account." I haven't had a bazillion views on anything yet, but you never know. Yeah, you can just scroll through the, the like the homepage of TikTok and Snapchat. And just get, you get lost in it. I don't know Snapchat. I th- Younger people, they use it as their WhatsApp. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a more of a communication tool. And I think what I would want to try and use it for is, is what I use for Instagram stories. Yeah. So I just spend time on Instagram now. As soon as Instagram stole stories yeah. from Snapchat. Yeah. Which is, what, <laughs> yeah, which is pretty what much what happened. they did. They're like, what can we do? How can we revolutionize Instagram? I know what we can do. Just build Snapchat into it. <laughs> <laughs> and you're there looking at both of them and you're like, Snapchat and Instagram stories like, <laughs> Those are the same, except the big one for me with Instagram was you're then searchable under people can find you. Exactly. There was a a search tool, right? Yeah. But I think think Snapchat have introduced that now. Oh, yeah. Like five years later. (laughs) (laughs) All the young people be like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So there's obviously there's quite a big gap between you started uploading videos in London. Yeah. And then getting to now where you've just turned up in a car that someone's lent you for a long time. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, I'll try and fill the gaps in. Can we fill in? Try and fill in some of that Okay, I'll try and hit the sort of main pillars where I recognised those moments as like turning points. So the first turning point was YouTube actually promoted two of my videos on YouTube.com. Oh, sick. So there was a Ferrari Enzo versus Bugatti Veyron video that I filmed in London. And there was also the 599 Mansory Stallone. Both of them, wherever you're in the world, you typed in YouTube.com, they appeared on the home is that, page. Is that Mansory Stallone doing like a burnout? It, it did a pretty hard acceleration down yeah. Stone Street. Okay, yeah. And so out of nowhere, those videos started to get like 150, 200,000 views. And I was like, mm. oh my God, what's going on? My subscriber count started to jump. And it was then when I realized, oh my God, like there is actually an audience that is hungry for this content. So that was like a real turning point when I realized that there was potential to earn money out of it. Because it was around the time that Google bought YouTube and there was this BBC news bulletin that was like, you can now earn money from uploading to YouTube. I was like, that'd be such a cool job. (laughs) I mean, how easy does that sound? So that was a turning point. And then I submitted my business plan to YouTube to get monetization. Is that so, what you had to do back in the yeah, day? Yeah, so you basically had to submit how much money you were going to invest, how much time you were going to invest, oh, like really? how many subscribers you were hoping to get and all of this stuff. So I got accepted onto that and we ran Supercars of London, started earning money, like £200 per month. It, was, yeah. uh, it wasn't that much money. But then once YouTube started to promote the channel, because they obviously started putting ads on it, yeah. it started to creep up to £1,000 per month. And I was like, oh my God, Like this is more money than I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> that was a big turning point. Another turning point was when I came out of university. So I graduated in 2013. I'd done a business management degree. So much of it was useless in terms of like profit and loss sheets and all of that sort of stuff, which I've kind of not even done now. Yeah. But I met a lecturer there that had a sort of business investment type thing. And he invested into Supercars of London, set the business up, set the website up, and also started to make everything like legitimate. So okay. like, I knew yeah. that I could run a business kind of thing. Mm. So I came out of university, knew that I wanted to do this full time, but I had no idea how I was going to sustain 
an audience over an entire year because I was filming during the summer when the weather was good. During the the winter, nothing was going on. So the two things that I did was I filmed every day in central London during the summer because I was like, I just need content. Then during the winter, that was when I created my first supercar. So I was like, I'm going to create a TV show style thing that people can watch, that it doesn't necessarily need to be in the summer. I'm going to connect with a company that has the supercars and then I'm just going to film them from my perspective, which was I would like to own a supercar one day. And that was where my first supercar came from. And I launched it going, I'm going to buy a supercar with no money, no idea how I was going to get the money. But I just thought that this was actually going to be quite a cool (laughs) concept of documenting maybe going and buying a first supercar. And then I managed to get some companies on board and ended up with the Audi R8. <laughs> like, I literally what? sold an invisible dream to companies and said, sponsor the car, sponsor my channel. I'm going to buy a supercar and I'm going to do some really, really cool videos on it. That was always my dream because I was filming these guys in London driving yeah. around supercars. I was like, I want to know what these guys do. I want to know what their lives consist of. And I want to know how they afforded that Ferrari or Lamborghini. So it was always a dream of mine to somehow own or experience the ownership of a supercar so that I could document that and share to the people that also aspired to own a supercar like me. So I got the R8 and uh, and did exactly that. I did Gumball 3000. I wrapped it about 400 times. I put an exhaust <laughs> system on it that was far too loud and just loved driving that car. And I think I did about 20, 25,000 miles in, nice. in a year. It was my only car because I couldn't afford anything yeah. else. And yeah, it was it was pretty ridiculous. There was one, there's actually a story that I don't think has ever appeared on the internet or I've never told, Ooh. but I got pulled out. I got pulled over in that car. I got pulled over doing mm, quite a lot of miles now. 60 miles now. 60 miles now plus. And my excuse to getting out of a park of a speeding ticket was I said I couldn't afford, I, I normally drive this car at 60 miles an hour because I can't afford the petrol in it. <laughs> and like the policeman looked at me like he saw like this young kid driving a yeah, cool yeah, car yeah. he's like i'm gonna absolutely throw the book at this guy wind the window down i'm really sorry officer i actually can't afford the fuel in it <laughs> i normally drive at 60 miles an hour and this guy just looked at me and be like oh actually i feel sorry for you now <laughs> and he's just like all right go <laughs> so that was the o- that's the only time i've been pulled over in any of my cars fair that's, that's i mean that's a good uh, yeah, thing to keep going yeah so um yeah, it was quite funny that R8. That is Lots of stories. I remember that. You've always been renowned for putting really, really <laughs> yeah. loud exhausts yeah. on cars. I think that comes from my love. My actual love for cars and road cuts has come from Formula One. So when I was about 10 years old, I watched a Formula One race for the first time on TV, fell in love with it. My parents just then latched onto that Christmas birthdays. Cars, cars, Formula One, Formula One. And I got a car book, saw the Murcielago in this car book in 2000, it would have been 2002. And I was like, oh my God, I'm in love with that. Like people actually drive that thing on the road. Yeah. So that's where my love for cars has come from. Not necessarily about driving. It's come from how they look and how they sound mm. from Formula One and then filming in London. Yeah. So whenever I saw these guys coming over from Dubai, Saudi, and they had all of these wild exhaust systems on them, I was like, that's so much cooler than the ones we're seeing in London where people aren't (laughs) making them loud. So I got this whole spectrum and experience of listening to these crazy straight-piped cars. I was like, whenever I get a car, 
I'm going to make sure it's the loudest thing on the road. <laughs> and that's literally all I've done. But I like to make it sound good, but still crazy loud. Yeah. It's, it, makes a, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. It also makes a huge difference on YouTube, which is weird because you could just turn the volume up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. Imagine like the first five seconds of the video. Right, guys, now make sure you turn this up to 100 because it's about to get crazy. <laughs> There's an electric car goes by. <laughs> I remember those, those early days when... There just weren't that many people making videos like the loudest car I've ever heard yeah. or whatever. All these sort of titles. Yeah, yeah. That has got completely ridiculous it's now. It's got out of control. Do you have a, did you have a go-to loud exhaust title back in the day? Or Back in the day, uh, I think the go-to title just has always been straight pipe. Straight pipe. Just straight pipe. That, that cuts through all the muscle. Everyone knows what straight pipes means. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's a universal term for this is going to be a loud video. Yeah. Like, that's it. <laughs> like, you can go over to America and be like, look at this straight pipe car. Or like, and it's just, it's that go-to. The R8 kind of had a bit of a cult following around the Armitrix exhaust because it was the first time anyone had heard about Armitrix. Oh, yeah, yeah. And how, I've, how I um, discovered Armitrix was I was typing in all of these exhaust systems of Audi R8s. I was on like page 29, like I was deep into YouTube mm. searches. <laughs> and I found this like Taiwan Army Tricks R8. And I watched the video. I was like, oh my God, that sounds amazing. I've never heard anything like it before. So I Googled Army Tricks. I found this uh, website. And I like basically went on the info page where it was like, contact us. And it was all in a different language. And I said, hello, my name's Paul. I run Supercars of London. I'm about to buy this Audi R8. I didn't even have the car, yeah. but I'd love to talk about maybe fitting an Armitrix exhaust to it. And they came back and they were like, oh my God, like this sounds amazing. We'd love to work with you. We've only fitted one and it's on YouTube. So if we can <laughs> give you one, that'd be amazing. And so I got gifted this Audi R8 Armitrix exhaust, put it on. And then I called it Armitrix. Everyone was like, oh, Armitrix, yeah. <laughs> and I just created this like hype because the name sounded cool. Yeah, it was quite funny. Armitrix. I remember the name being like, what? Yeah, what? Exactly, yeah. I don't know where they came up with the name from, but it was cool and it made it made the car a character. But it sounds military and military stuff's normally pretty loud. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it gave the car personality and that's that's that was the coolest thing about the car. And you haven't changed much since then in terms of liking loud vehicles. <laughs> no. No, I actually went one further on the Gallardo because the Gallardo, I don't know what it was about that car, but it was already loud being a Lamborghini. So the, the rear section, the back box and the mufflers, when you remove them and change them, didn't make much difference. And I'd seen that in the flesh yeah. and filmed it. So I said to the guys, I was like, we're going to have to go one more. What can you do to make my audience know that this is like crazy loud? Because on video, it's not coming across. And they're like, give us two weeks. And they came back and they're like, we can do headers. We can do straight pass, decats, everything. And I was like, well, I have no idea what that means. And they're like, it's going to be really loud. <laughs> And I was like, send it over. <laughs> Hit me up. Yeah. <laughs> Little did I know that when it arrived, I had to take the engine out of the car to do the whole modification. Oh, wow. Engine had to come out of the Lambo. <laughs> and that was how you could, that was how you could decat it. Like, cause the Gallardo, the, the headers and the decats are underneath the engine. So you had to take the whole thing out and no one knew that. 
was this done by SB Raisin yeah, Chew? And yeah. it, before, when they had agreed, they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll fit an exhaust <laughs> to you. Don't worry about it. And then yeah, you're like, yeah. so yeah, you I mean, you've got to take the engine out. Or, or what? <laughs> yeah. They're like, that's three days, like straight. And I was like, please. <laughs> Damn right, straight pipes. <laughs> <laughs> but the result, like that catapulted my channel. So that was another pillar. That moment where I started to daily video my life and transition between the R8 to the Lambo. There wasn't that many people, if any, especially in the UK, YouTubers that had documented owning a Lamborghini. And obviously yeah. that tag, like having Lamborghini in the title is, is much cooler than having Audi. Yeah. So it was much more exotic. And because I was documenting my daily life, people got to see this insight into whatever it is that I got up to. And they wanted to know how I afforded these cars. They wanted to know what I was doing. And it was around that time that my channel really started to pick up. I had gone to New York to do some filming and, and it just all started to come together really, really well. The R8 didn't lose any money because it was a manual V8. Ideal. So I sold it for exactly what I paid for it, got all my money back. And then that was like, oh my God, I can actually live out a dream of buying a Lamborghini before I'm 25. So I bought this Gallardo when I was 24, called up the insurance company on the day of collection. I was like, I'd like to insure my car, please. It's a Lamborghini. And they're like, What? And I was like, it's a Lamborghini. Can you spell that? And I was like, <laughs> L A. <laughs> they didn't know what it was. And I was like, oh my God, like, have I even got the right insurance? <laughs> I just had no idea what was going on. But I was 24 years old and I felt like, well, I mean, I kind of was living my own dream. You were? Yeah. You are? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that was cool. So at that point in time, there was a whole, and there still is a whole bunch of like, I bought a car. I've wrapped a car, I've put yeah. exhaust on the car, I've taken it through McDonald's, yeah. I've done like, <laughs> yeah. this, all this sort of stuff. And it started to get to the point where you started seeing people buying cars for, for YouTube. YouTube. Yeah. Now, you've obviously got involved in that. Yeah. Did, and when people say, like, okay, how do you afford these cars? Yeah. I imagine when you bought the Gallardo, that would be on finance. Yeah, the R8 was on finance. And the yeah. R8. But the, the problem with the R8 was it made national and international press because there was a YouTuber that had earned enough money to buy a car. Yeah. And the whole story got twisted and they said that I'd pay cash for it. And obviously, <laughs> like, the Daily Mail is just going to Google, like, Audi R8 price. Yeah. It's going to come up with the list price. And it was like, uh, YouTuber spends £120,000 on brand new Audi R8. And I was like, whoa, that's like so not true. But then it kind of gave this perception that I had all of this money and I'd earn it all from YouTube. And I was like, oh my God, like this kind of stuff, this is getting out of control to the point where HMRC, the tax man, saw this story and investigated me. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Fuck. And they were like, we need all of your tax returns. We need all of the stuff that you've earned the money for the last five years because we want to know how you afforded that car. Yeah. And I was like, Oh my God, it was so much work. And I submitted it and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, not rich at all. Carry on. <laughs> we, we've got no more money to take from you. <laughs> and I was like, I'm really sorry. <laughs> but apparently there is a department that literally watch Homes Under the Hammer, all of this stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah, and they yeah, basically, yeah. as soon as someone goes, yeah, we're going to buy this cash, they go, investigate him. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of what happened to me. <laughs> Even in reality, people... Someone like Daily Mail will be like, he walked in with a bag of cash. Like, yeah, no one yeah, does that. You're yeah. not even allowed to do that anymore. Yeah. He walked in with a bag of cash and bought this car. Yeah. Did you start feeling pressure to sort of up the ante on the owning the oh, car 
And yeah, yeah, because I was always under the my own personal goal of continuing this uphill achievement line of subscribers, views, excitement. But obviously, like it's going to get to the point where you just can't continue to bring exciting content. There's going to be times where you like really peak. Like I drove a LaFerrari. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, I'm back to driving my Lambo to the office where I'm going to go and photocopy a couple of things and also print out (laughs) my boarding pass for my next flight. And I'm going to have to film that, but I've just driven a LaFerrari. So I kind of got on this uh, whole bandwagon and I think it, it all came down to audience perception that, oh my God, like, what's he going to get next? And you start getting these messages and being like, oh my God, I've just found this Koenigsegg that I think you should really go, go for next. Or like this Bugatti Veyron's so cheap, go and buy it. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? I don't have that much money. Yeah, yeah. I was like, all my money is in this car. I still can't afford fuel or food. <laughs> <laughs> because like for me, this is this is a business. And for like a, like a lot of other people, it's a business. So you still have to maintain a profit margin. And also the way that I see cars, as amazing as and as beautiful as they are, if I was running a T-shirt printing business, like, and I had like this pretty standard T-shirt printer and I was making okay money, I could go and buy a really fancy T-shirt printing machine that printed more T-shirts quicker and cheaper. And that to me was the transition between like the R8 to the Lambo. Yeah. Like, but obviously it was in the form of a Lambo. Everyone saw it as a supercar. But to me, I was like, hopefully I can earn more money by yeah. documenting this ownership experience. And, and that's kind of what happened. So there is always this progression of always trying to upgrade because there's this whole mentality in the car world that every time you get a new car, you should upgrade. In the same way yeah. we upgrade our phones, in the same way we upgrade whatever it is, it needs to be better than the one before. So if you were ever to see to say, take a step back to like, Oh my god, he's bankrupt. Yeah, what happened? <laughs> yeah, well, the yeah, entire yeah. illusion of this person yeah. has completely gone. Yeah. So I guess at some point in time, did you then you realize you couldn't keep upgrading and upgrading, upgrading, yeah. and, and probably didn't necessarily want to gamble on spending more, more money, money on cars. In the hope that it was gonna bring, bring more, more money. money. Um yeah, exactly. I think I probably got to the hurricane where it seems to be a Lamborghini trend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I did have a Mercedes in between that. <laughs> um, but I got very lucky with the R8, the Lambo, the Gallardo, and the AMG GTS that I owned. I never lost money on those cars. How, how did you not lose money on those cars? I got very lucky. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Mercedes AMG, I did 10,000 miles in nine months. I bought it so cheap. So the yeah. guy that ordered this Mercedes AMG GTS he was a Porsche man. He was a Porsche 4S, Carrera 4S, through and through. And he saw this Mercedes, and Mercedes has obviously pitched the AMG GT as a 911 yeah. rival. He ordered one, thinking it was four-wheel drive. Drove out of the dealership, <laughs> went on a drive, and apparently like span it out. It scared the hell out of him, and he gave it back with two, yeah. 200 miles on the clock. He was like, I don't want anything to do with this car anymore. Went and bought a Porsche. So this car was sat there, 20 grand under list, with 200 miles on the clock. I was like, I'm going to buy that. Yeah. So I bought it, did 10,000 miles in it, tuned it, did a few wraps, made it look really, really cool. And then this guy who had just won the lottery, nice, went into Dub Customs, saw my car there and was like, oh my God, that Supercars London car. I want to buy it. And I was like, 
what? <laughs> so I like told him, this is how much I paid for it. This is how much the mods were. This is how much the rap is. This is how much I would sell the car for, but I'll do you a bit of a deal. Yeah, like, yeah. I kind of like <laughs> had the salesman in me and sold the car for the same price that I paid for it. You did very well. Yes, yeah, so I got very lucky because now they're around 60K. Yeah. <laughs> but it was the Lamborghini Huracan. I got, a, I got a good deal on that. It was brand new. I sold it just at the right time because I was wanting to get on the property ladder. Yeah. So I bought that car. Me and my girlfriend were like, we want to buy a place. All of my money was in the car. So I was like, I'm going to have to sell the car to mm. get the property. Did that. Two months later, the whole new market kind of really came down. And you can pick up a rear-wheel drive Hurricane now for like 50 grand under what I sold it for. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> like if I was still in that car now, like I would, uh, I don't even know what would be happening. Is it a lot easier selling a car if you've got, uh, I feel like this is an obvious answer, but if it's famous into some level, do you get people saying, I want to buy that, I want to buy that? Or almost if it's famous and people are like, hell no, yeah. never I, buy I that. Think it's the, I think it's the other way around for, for two reasons, both self-inflicted. Modifications. Yeah. So people like the ignorance is bliss approach they yeah. like going in and seeing a car that's for sale or glistening in the showroom yeah. they kind of prefer to not know how it was driven before yeah and they'll be like i'm gonna buy that car if they have my car next to it which they've seen on youtube banging through the gears in europe going all over the place they're like oh yeah like that guy's that car's been ragged i'm like every lamborghini's been ragged <laughs> who yeah. buys a lamborghini <laughs> to cruise <laughs> like but that's why like i think people like ignorance is bliss when in fact it really should be the other way around because we can't be seen to speed on youtube no we can't be seen to be doing any dangerous you driving. can't lose your license we can't lose our license so actually we're probably the safest supercar drivers yeah. in the world because we've got so many eyes on us. And at the same time, we have to document everything. So there's no way that mileage can be wound back like sometimes yeah. you see in the supercar market. So everything is documented. It is the most genuine car because almost every day of its life has been documented. So that's my approach to it. That's what I tell people. Some people get it. Some people don't. Some people still prefer to buy a blind car that they have no idea has been on its roof around Silverstone. Because <laughs> I've seen cars that have been on their roof around Silverstone. It's a funny one, that one. Because... I, I totally get it. When if I'm buying a car, I used to be, and I still sort of am. Like, I want one careful lady owner, or whatever. Yeah. But it depends on the cars. And I now realize, like let's say with my GT3, I've yeah. driven it a lot, and I've driven it quite hard. Yeah. But also anything that's ever needed to be done on that car, you've done it. I've done it. Yeah. And I would rather buy a car that look maybe with a bit less miles, but yeah. an owner like that, than someone who doesn't even know that they, they see an engine warning light as like a oh, an inconvenience that yeah. they're not ever going to check out <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and i and i literally had that mentality when i went to buy the lamborghini murcielago yeah because that car is so fragile that if it is left doing nothing for more than a week things start to go wrong on it it needs to be driven yeah. and it needs to be driven well and i learned this from the r8 that i bought from the guy that i bought it off who was like these are the right amount of miles for the age of this car yeah. to know that it's been consistently driven at the right distance to get everything up to temperature, to, er to get everything warmed up. So all of the mechanics and parts of the car yeah. are working. You don't want an R8 that's done 8,000 miles. It's dried out. That's yeah. just been used to go to the pub and back because it's not driven properly. And therefore, over time, 
things are more likely to go wrong. Yeah, and people are like, oh, I don't want a car that's like used all the rev. Why not? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, if, yeah. You, if you've never used the top end, it's not going to perform yeah. very well at the top <laughs> exactly, end. Exactly, exactly. The one thing that I've been uh, sort of maintained over the years with cars is always do the running period, always do that running service. Then you're good to go and free yeah. to do whatever you want. My only caveat to that, and sorry for the person that bought my RS3, <laughs> is if you know you're not having it for that long and it's within warranty, yeah, you can sort of... You, you should always do the running period, and I generally try and do it, but yeah. I did launch control that car out of the dealership. <laughs> oh, did you actually? <laughs> <laughs> I but mean, I, have, I have not done that with any other car since. Yeah, and I mean, you don't own the car anymore, so... And I don't own the car anymore. <laughs> Someone else does. But, yeah, yeah. I think with running... The most important thing is warming the car up. Exactly. Once you've warmed the car up, you, you're sort of okay. Like, yeah. you don't just sit there from cold banging it off the limiter. Yeah. I think the best thing to do is when you're in the market for buying a car, any car, try and buy off someone that you can tell is a car guy because yeah. then you have that sort of mechanical sympathy with the car as well. So like us with our cars that we own, always warm them up, always let them run for a little bit, then exactly. just cruise out before you really go up to the rev range and bounce it off the limiter. Make sure that it's warm. Like, that's just what it is. So whenever it is I'm going in to buy a car, I'd happily buy a car off Shmi. Oh, 100% I'd buy a car like, off Like, he literally looks after the cars, probably better he'll look after his own child. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, they are probably the best cars. And it's the same with, like, express cars. Yeah. Like, after every drive, press cars get serviced. They do. So they are probably the me- well, most well-maintained cars out there. They've probably got the most miles... There is like a, there's definitely a certain point in that where you go, hmm, because like not. chassis start getting like <laughs> yeah, weak and things. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Something I remember, I was at a Geneva Motor Show mm-hmm. and I was in the bit above, I, I think it was VW. They always used to have a massive area where you could go and chill and eat okay. sausages and stuff. Yeah. And this random guy came up to me and was like, oh, hello. Hi. I'm just here because I'm allowed to, like, yeah. I managed to get in. It's a great place to leave my laptop. <laughs> yeah. Not because I want a meeting with an exec <laughs> yeah, from VW. Yeah. And this guy was just like, he just wanted to chat. He was having his lunch. I guess that's kind of what they do. They wander around and chat yeah, to yeah, jealous yeah. and stuff. And he was in charge of luxury seats in VW cars. Okay. That was his, his thing. It's pretty cool. Which, you know, like, <laughs> it's kind of funny that that is someone's job yeah but also it makes you look at people that make one-offs and stuff and goes this guy is head of the department <laughs> yeah. for seats yeah. for yeah. luxury cars yeah. So. yeah and you're trying to build an entire car <laughs> i think something's gonna but go he wrong. was he was talking about the show cars and all the cars on the floor and every single car that they had whether it was a golf or whatever someone would go around at the end of each day and then they would Look at the side bolsters on the seats, for example, because yeah. everyone's getting in and out of those cars all day, and they go, "Oh, okay, that's got that's it's gone below our standard quality standard point." And they would just haul all eight cars off the floor, redo the seats, and put them back on. And they had oh a fleet, God. like a a fleet of other cars ready to swap in, and then people working overnight to it's make good. sure that they were up to scratch. Oh and like, if a car got scratched and stuff, they'd take it off, flip it around, put it back in. That's insane. And I never knew that was a thing. No. 
Well, you saying like you never knew that someone that was in charge of yeah. seats is the thing. There's got to be someone in charge of maneuvering cars on and off yes. the Geneva stands, which is like a fairly <laughs> seasonal job. <Yeah. laughs> it's like one week of March every year. He might have. He might have. <laughs> yeah. Two jobs. He might be Frankfurt yeah. as well. <laughs> that's yeah. That's ridiculous. I'm, I mean, I always find that Geneva. You're meeting the most weirdest and wonderful people. The characters that are at Geneva is just an like, absolute nuggets of gold as well. Like yeah. this guy. I'm, we were like, okay, right, what questions can I ask this guy? Um, I was like, okay, well, what's your favorite seat? <laughs> yeah, you're like racking your brains like whilst he's staring at you in this awkward silence. And yeah. you're like, oh, And then you're like, okay, no, but, but I do want to know what he <laughs> yeah, thinks is the yeah. best seat. And he was like, the Audi S8 seat. This okay. was like five years ago yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. It had just come out. He was yeah. like, that's, that's, that's the seat. That is the ultimate. And then if, he was like, if you go into the Range Rover stand, they don't, or the Land Rover stand. Yeah. You go and sit in the Range Rovers. The side bolsters on them are completely shot. <laughs> <laughs> they obviously haven't rotated yeah. their cars around <laughs> as much as these guys. <laughs> We're like, <laughs> I mean, it's, just cutting people down. Yeah. So much so that Range Rover don't go to Geneva anymore. <laughs> <laughs> they actually won there last year. They this won. year, I do think Geneva is slowly going isn't it i i think so yeah i i just think that because of the world of social media manufacturers are able to create their own geneva without all of the other manufacturers trying to cut through their noise so a lot of manufacturers now are like well we'll just launch a car at our annual general meeting or whatever yeah. it is and they're using that and the power of social media to do that without having to compete with anyone else do you go on a lot of manufacturer launches i yeah. go on i go on some I go on as many as excite me. Yeah. Um, I think a nice thing to clear up is like, you're never paid to go on these. No. In terms of expenses, yeah, the flights and hotels are covered. But I recently did the Peugeot 208 launch, mm. which I was more excited about driving that car than I was the Bentley Flying Spur the day before. <laughs> and I'm not, ha I'm not ashamed to say that. I'm obsessed with that car. The moment it, it launched, I was like, Oh my god! They've built like an like an, an affordable, accessible car that actually looks cool inside and out. And I went to the Geneva Motor Show, went to the Peugeot stand, said this was the best car of the show. Wanted to buy one. This is the best thing ever. Went to Ferrari's, like boring. Went to Lambo's, like oh, it's Lambo classic. A lot of electric cars, but to me, Peugeot really struck a chord with me just because it's so not normal for me to get excited about a car like that like because yeah, yeah. i think a lot of people expect me to be like oh go and check out the new rolls royce go and, and check out the new whatever, yeah, yeah whatever and for me it was the peugeot so the coolest thing about this whole story about that's me going cool, to that's a cool looking car yeah it is so i got a email from peugeot uk having never spoken to them before hmm. and they go ah global director of communications saw your geneva video and wanted to know whether you wanted to come to Portugal to drive the 208. I literally <laughs> replied in a minute, capital letters, sign me up. I want to be there. Like, I was so excited. Went there, drove the car. I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. I drove the E208. And I was like, now I want an electric car. Like the Porsche uh, Taycan. Yes, that's great. But Peugeot 208, E208, like just sort of blend in, drive a normal car and... It's so convenient. A to B car. Don't know why I said A to B car, but that's what it is. It's yeah. not like a car for petrol heads. It's just like a really, really useful tool to have in your life. Really good car. Yeah. I think I, I totally see having 
I will have an electric car at some point, yeah. unless it, we go to a hydrogen fuel cell or God knows what. Yeah. But for me, if an electric car is going to be the small runaround. Exactly. And I totally agree with you that Peugeot at the moment are making some really good looking cars. Yeah. Like their design inside and out yeah. is is amazing yeah. at the moment. They're really like... Well, they had a really bad period, didn't they, for like the last 20 years yeah. prior to that. And then I think what Top Gear did was almost celebrate how bad it was with that episode, which was like one of my favorite <laughs> Top Gear episodes ever. But that's when Peugeot really started to appear on my map. And I started to look a little bit further into the cars that they were launching. Yeah. The new 508, they're going to be doing like a hybrid sport of the 508 coupe. And I was like, not the coupe, sorry, it's still a four-door. I was like... That's the coolest thing ever. It's like really, really dark grey with lime green accents. I was like, yes, it is cool. And like, I'm getting obsessed with Peugeot because weirdly, in this crazy world, I'm probably getting a little bit desensitized, a little bit like you to 100%. all of these cars. We go to the showrooms, we go to the events, we're surrounded by people that own these cars. So seeing a Ferrari is kind of the norm for us. We're actually. 10 years ago coming into London and seeing a Ferrari was like the coolest thing ever yeah. and now here I am going to Portugal getting excited about driving a Peugeot 208 because I've never driven a Peugeot yeah. before like it's just completely reversed how my mind works it is nuts that fact that we just get you just get so used to it and I, I went to the cars and coffee event at oh, Topaz yes. yeah. um, last weekend and if you ever get the chance and you're into cars go along to one of those events because yeah. they just have the most ridiculous stuff yeah. But I walked in and inside, I think they had four or five the Koenigseggs. Yeah. Like tick every, whichever model they've got them all. And yeah. then they had a couple of Veyrons and just a whole bunch of all the modern latest supercar type stuff. And there was an F1 GTR. And yes. I do love F1 GTRs. So was it Nick Mason's? I think it was Nick Mason's. It Mason. was the red one. Yeah. Is, yeah. I think that's Nick Mason's. Yeah, I think or, that is his one. Yeah. Didn't he crash that? Yes, he did. <laughs> <laughs> I was there when he crashed it. <laughs> and I, I was like, oh, that's looking that better than... <laughs> I saw the photos. I was like, that's looking better than the last time I saw it. <laughs> but walking around that show, or the, the event, yeah. I just didn't care. Yeah. Which was really yeah. depressing. Yeah, it, it is. And I think there's, there's two factors behind it that I've kind of identified. One, Instagram. Yeah. We're seeing so many cars we're having so much access to seeing cars that are owned by these people like you can easily find koenigsegg owners bugatti chiron owners la ferrari owners you go on their page hundreds of pictures of them yeah so actually when driving you, them yeah them. when you see them in the flesh it's like oh, i've already seen that car yeah but then also when they're all in one place at one time because going back 10 years when it was the enzo the pagani zonda the mclaren mercedes slr all of those cars quite difficult to get into them because finance wasn't as advanced as yeah. it is now where it's very easy to get into these cars if you've got that type of money so to have them all in one place and to see them being driven on a regular basis throughout the year you do start getting desensitized to it whether you are a photographer or an owner or just an enthusiast you can go to these events you'll start seeing the same cars over and over again exactly and then you'll see them on instagram so the next time you see them you're like oh this is the 25th car time i've seen this car this year and it hasn't changed <laughs> it's still the same and and yeah like i think instagram has totally brought it's it's brought all the owners together as Absolutely, well. Absolutely, yeah. I, I think a lot of people look at maybe someone like yourself who's got a huge following on YouTube and whatever, and they sort of dismiss it and go, yeah, it's all four-year-olds. <laughs> no, like the amount of 
crazy encounters that I've experienced around the world. Like you can go to the other side of the world in America and find yourself being approached by people at car events and they'll be like, oh, can you come and check out my car? Like, I really love you to feature it on your channel or whatever it is. Like, can you just post a picture of it on Instagram? I'm like, yeah, whatever. Like, can imagine it's like a, a Mustang or something <laughs> like that. And you'd be like, yeah, this is like one of one full carbon Enzo. And you're like, <laughs> and you watch me? And like, and I, like the amount of times that people come up and be like, oh yeah, like my girlfriend gets so annoyed because I'm sat there in bed watching you at like 10 p.m. I'm like, really sorry about that <laughs> that's that's too much information for me <laughs> but yeah like it is it is it is so cool and i think that's what social media has done is it's brought everyone together it's created this community which is really amazing because you can speak to people you can arrange a meet we could probably send out a few messages now and do a convoy through london in the yeah. next couple of hours and it'll be awesome and people will just be around and yeah all the owners like like with you see loads of kerning eggs always together because yeah. the, it's very easy now let's say you've got one car like let's say with my f40 yeah there's only there aren't many in other colors that you see yeah so there's eugenio used to have the green one and he sold it but when he got the green one when he painted his green i just sent him a message eventually being like oh hey i saw you got green he was like oh i didn't realize it was your car like (laughs) let me just have a chat about it and like that car is in italy the other side of the world by someone i've never met before and i've sent a message and he's like oh sweet cool like if we can get them together we can get them together or whatever and like the koenigsegg boys they clearly have met yeah they oh they've got a whatsapp group 100 percent. they've exactly. got a whatsapp group. and they're like okay what should we do and <laughs> yeah. for them it must be pretty lost because they're like well these cars are pretty rare but like let's get five of them together <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah exactly yeah i think i think yeah that is i've got a similar story to how you messaged that guy with the f40 so my first ever video on supercars of london 10 years ago was a lp640 mercy largo lp640 driving down park lane and i love that car because I loved how the owner drove it. I remember the plate. And every time I saw it, it was like a day to remember in London because he was like 8,000 RPM everywhere in central <laughs> London. And Don't when... do that, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not an emergency lager. <laughs> when I got mine, I messaged this guy, having never spoken to him or haven't spoken to him in like 10 years. I used to yeah. say hi to him on the street, like me, just like I'm Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and it was like, he's like similar age to me. Russian guy, owns a couple of businesses in London, travels around the world, got a really cool Instagram. And I was like, I want to know what his exhaust system was. So I like sent him a picture of my car. I was like, hey man, you will not remember me, but I run a YouTube channel. I filmed you back in the day and I loved your car. What was the exhaust? And he's like, oh my God, what a beauty. That looks amazing. Oh my God, the memories I had in my car. And it was like an instant connection. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, he's now my friend. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's what's so cool about uh, Instagram, social media in this whole supercar world. And it literally is just uniting everyone together yeah. around the world, making everything much smaller because like I can speak to people in LA, Australia. Look at Sam doing Drive the World. Yeah. Like he's using social media to bring everyone together and he's creating some insane so content. Cool. People reaching out to do you see that guy with the Le Mans 917 Porsche like in Texas like literally street legal Le Mans oh, right, car yeah. and it like Sam's just like driving it to dinner oh sick <laughs> I'm like what the hell like you couldn't do that when you didn't have Instagram yeah like, imagine landing in America with just like a Nokia 3310 and being like I'm just gonna play Snake anybody got a phone book <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah super car owner's phone book <laughs> yeah it just wasn't a thing so it's I hot. was talking to some some guys that trade cars and stuff and yeah. saying it must be a bit of a problem for them now 
that all these owners are on Instagram because yeah. anyone can message anyone. Yeah. And in my experience, generally, people people do reply. Unless yeah. you've said something weird. Like, don't just... Whatever you do, if you're going to approach someone <laughs> on social media, don't do things like... Don't just say, hi. Yeah. <laughs> you're not getting yeah, a response. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's just not happening. Yeah. You've got to start with like a... Something to say. Exactly. A question. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. And you probably get a response. Yeah. And especially if you've got to follow it. Yeah. Like you must think like now, the number of people on the planet that you could send a DM to that would probably reply is, yeah. is quite high. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And I've used it to my advantage when I was in America because there was a big YouTuber, like big Minecraft gamer, like I'm talking millions of subscribers. Mm. He'd just taken delivery of a brand new 4GT. He was like the third in the US to take one. And there was none in the UK. I was out in America and I was like, oh, I'll just like tweet him. And because of the verification thing. Exactly. Boom. Straight away he replied, be like, yo, like, yeah, this is, sounds awesome. Like, what car are you driving? Like, let's meet up. And I like sent him a picture of like my friend's hurricane that we were in. We were like, <laughs> let's go, let's go for a drive. And then within 24 hours, we had turned around and we were convoying through canyons up in uh, above LA. And I was listening to a podcast with Dan Bilzerian. Mm-hmm. And he was saying now the accessibility that people have to celebrities and the opportunity that they have to just reach out to them really cuts out like this sort of weird business of people that are trying to buy and sell stuff. And yeah. I think it is happening in the car world as well because like if you've got a ton of money and you want a specific car, you just, you just go direct out. and be like, hey, like I really want to buy like a pink LaFerrari and yeah. you've got one. Yeah. So, You're the only person I come across that's got one. <laughs> yeah, can I buy it? And then it just starts from there. So whilst I haven't sold a car through Instagram, obviously the guy saw my YouTube channel yeah. and bought my Mercedes AMG GTS. So it kind of, I didn't have to take it to a dealer to sell it. So yeah, it's... It's a weird, it's weird on that one because I, I think older people... And I, I sort of put myself in this because I think I'm somewhere in the middle. Generally, they like to have a middleman yeah. for most stuff. Yeah. Someone they can trust. Someone they can trust, yeah, exactly. which, is, which makes perfect sense. Yeah. I've never tried to sell anything through Instagram, I don't think. I, and I don't know why not. I really don't know why not. Like my M2, when that went, I'm pretty sure if I'd said Posted it's it on, for sale, yeah. the right people would have got to it. Cause yeah, but then... Would you have had the time to filter through the the time wasters? Because everyone has time wasters, whether you're advertising yeah. on Auto Trader, Piston Heads, or on Instagram. You'll still have someone that just wants to come and drive your car because it's yours, or just come and meet you. Yeah. And then what contact number do you put? Because I made a really big mistake. Oh, you posted your phone number once. I no no no. So I wanted to sell an iPhone. Yeah. So I was like, I'll just sell it through Instagram. Easy. That's the dodgiest. The selling phones is just sketchy on any <laughs> yeah. platform. So I had this iPhone, I think it was like a 5S or something. And uh, I put it on Gumtree. So I had this advert on Gumtree, which had like my name. Uh, I think you had like a, a contact number, which I just put because I just thought that I probably yeah. should. If I want to sell the phone, I'm yeah. going to have to be contacted at some point. But then I put it on Instagram and I said, hey, like go and check the Gumtree link. Oh, right. And so everyone clicked on the link, then found my phone number and my WhatsApps were like, oh my God. <laughs> I was like, ah! like running around the house, not knowing what to do. It's like, ping, 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 ping. I was like, I'll buy your phone. Can you leave the photos on it? And I was like, what? <laughs> like people were asking me to like leave yeah, yeah. my photo library as it was. And I was like, you don't want to see that. <laughs> I don't just take pictures of cars. 
<laughs> so, uh, yeah, I quickly changed my number and took the Gumtree ad off and still sold the phone, though. Yeah, which is fair good. enough. Yeah. That, that is, I had, when it changed from Instagram having personal accounts to being able to have a business account yeah, and then yeah. being able to see insights, yeah. I changed changed it over. Yeah. And I didn't realize that it put, like, it was either like call me or text me or something. It was yeah, one of the default con- yeah, buttons. Yeah. And someone just texted me. And it was about a random, I can't remember what the question was, but it was it was like a really random question. <laughs> it was like a comment on a video. Yeah. But it was via text on my phone. <laughs> and straight away I was like, uh, okay, cool. But but how, how did you get my number? <laughs> yeah. He was like, oh, it's on your Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> full panic mode. And I was like, please don't call me again, but thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I do appreciate this in a really weird way. Never speak to me again. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, like, phone numbers are one of those things that it's still, you do not, you just don't want people giving out your phone number. Yeah. Ever, yeah. really. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't really know, I don't really know why. And I've become, I've become a lot more relaxed to it now. There was a real, there was a period where I basically had, my family on there and that was it Mm. and i just kind of like completely closed myself off i had a few weird years especially when my youtube channel blew up because i started to have people coming out the woodwork that had my number from like back at uni or school and they're like oh you're doing really well yeah i'm just about to launch this business of coffee pods like can you just like do a shout out and i'm like well like i haven't got time and i was getting swamped with all of this stuff that i completely cut people off and kind of like went into a bit of a panic mode and uh, just sort of sat in my room most of the time. Went out to drive my cars when I needed to film and I just went back and sat in my room. But now I'm becoming a lot more relaxed about the whole phone number thing and, and I quite enjoy it because it just it's better to connect with people because then you have more brains helping you with ideas and stuff and yeah. it gives you more options to be able to do whatever it is that you want to do. Like I was in Dubai recently and having contacts out there just from previous times that I've yeah. been out there and networking – and it's, it is really helpful when you're, when you're there with, with someone that knows everything that's going on and someone that's local. They can really, it can really help and enhance your experience. Yeah, and totally. Like if I've met up with someone or I've specifically done something with someone, I'm totally fine with them having my exactly. phone number because you, you, yeah, you, it's you, useful. Yeah, yeah. And also I have people, loads of people's phone numbers. Wait. Wait, I have loads of phone numbers in my phone. I have more than 200 numbers on my SIM card. <laughs> it's like uh, like how, when you had like, how many Facebook friends have you got? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It was like a... But you remember hitting the limit on your like 3310 or whatever it was. And it, yeah. you used to keep them on the SIM card. And then you'd have to transfer a few over onto the phone. <laughs> yeah, and then you change yeah. phone and you're like, you might lose the ones that weren't on the SIM exactly, card. Exactly, yeah. It was a priority, yeah. But yeah. most people don't call you up out of the blue. Like yeah, why would yeah? Why would you do that? Yeah, their own lives. Do you know what really annoys me? Voicemails. What's the point? Oh, just like if you're calling me and I don't pick up, just like what's that? I'll see you. What? Yes, I agree with that. A hundred percent. Don't leave a voicemail. Don't leave a voicemail. I've never listened to. I I don't even know how to get into my voicemail. So I have an app on my phone. At one point in time, I I think when I was with O2, you could um, you had the visual voicemail thing with an iPhone and it would oh, just record yeah, it and whatever. Yeah. Now I use something, there's an app, I can't remember what it's called, and I pay them a little bit of money, like one pound a month or something. And they just delete your voicemails? And they just literally <laughs> just delete it. Everyone just tells them to do them. No, it, it, records, it, it records them all to my phone, so I don't okay. have to call a number to watch it. But it also transcribes them. Oh, so you can read them. So I literally just get a notification, like a text message. Yeah. So-and-so's left a message and you can read the message. Okay. Yeah, maybe I need something like that. I'd, 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 
I'll find it afterwards and I'll yeah, show you what it is. There's a, there's a few voicemails on my phone from the last <laughs> seven years. <laughs> but yeah, basically text me. Yeah, like that's, exactly. Or WhatsApp yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So something you mentioned a bit, a bit earlier in our discussion is you bought a Murcielago. I did. That was yeah. your, and you said it was your dream car. Ultimate, ultimate dream car. Because that's fundamentally the car that got me into cars. I got this book and there was an orange 6.2 Murcielago. It's like 2002. So I was 11. And I saw this car and I was like, someone is driving this on the road? <laughs> I, like, I, could, I couldn't believe it, basically. Over time, I've obviously seen a bunch of cars. I've driven a bunch of cars. I've filmed a bunch of cars. And no matter what it was, I always daydreamt about driving this Murcielago. And I, and I couldn't get it out of my head. I've always loved Lamborghinis, not for the way they drive, but the way they look and the way that they sound. And it just was the right time. Mm. I'd had the opportunity before when they were much cheaper, um, but it just didn't feel like the right time. I didn't feel completely stable. Ready for your channel and everything. And exactly, whatever, yeah. yeah. And and don't get me wrong, like the, the transition period between selling my Hurricane, buying the apartment, and then jumping almost immediately into like a fairly chunky purchase mm. that also has got a lot of things that could potentially go wrong, both financially, mechanically, everything. Yeah. It was like a fairly interesting time. But the moment that I like bought it and everything went through, it was like a weight off my shoulders. I couldn't quite believe that it was happening. And it's still like the novelty hasn't worn off yet. And awesome. I think that's the most important thing because like with the, especially the hurricane I think novelty wore off really quick because it was so easy to drive that you could just jump yeah. in it and pop down to Sainsbury's and get out of the car and look back and be like, oh my God, that's what I drove here. Yeah. Like, it's so easy to drive. Whereas the Murcielago, like, you really have to commit <laughs> to, like, just getting in it. And then you're like, right, where am I going? Are the roads wide enough? Are there any speed bumps? What's the traffic going to be like? Is there parking where I'm going? Yeah. Parking for a bus. <laughs> like, there are so many things that you have to consider. And unfortunately, Google Maps don't have those filters. Yeah. You can't just be like, tick, width restrictions. Why do they bumps. not have this? This frustrates me so much. Like, like I even today, I've come here in a, a, a 2019 Vantage. And obviously, it's trying to find the quickest route to the destination. And I find myself in North London through school traffic and everything. And all of a sudden I see this T-junction and it's like, turn left. And I look left and I just see this width restriction. Oh, yeah. I'm like, no, can't we just turn this off? <laughs> How it like, and it's just the most frustrating thing. But obviously a Merchinago is like, it is an absolute chore to drive. But when you drive it. Is yours manual or is it paddles? E-gear, which I like. I've driven a manual LP640. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. Phenomenal. And for the purist, having a naturally aspirated mid-engine V12 with a manual gearbox, like this just doesn't yeah. exist anymore. But the E-gear and the mechanical shifts in Corsa mode, you can't get from a manual. Yeah, yeah. And the downshifts, you can't get from a manual unless you're really good at heel and toe, and I'm not. So, like, <laughs> I love the E-gear. It's like an idiot, an idiot's access to, to driving this crazy car as best as possible because yeah. that computer drives it really, really well. And it's not jerky like a lot of people assume because there's no auto mode 
in the Audi R8 on the Rtronics and in the Gallardos with the e-gear, there's an auto mode. So you can put it in auto yeah. mode. And then there's just this like really dated 1999 computer doing the gears for you. But in the Murcielago, it's a manual um, with an automated clutch. Yeah. So as long as you drive it like a manual, you're fine. Lift off, paddle, go back okay, on. Yeah. And stuff. And it, and it takes a little time to get used to, especially when you're jumping out of a new car, but it adds to the drama. Yeah. It adds to the whole experience. That bit you said about having something that's difficult to drive and difficult to get in, it's a, it's a really odd one when you can sort of contrast it to what most manufacturers are making now, yeah. or pretty much all manufacturers are making now. They're like, it's easy, you can use it every day, blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah. And it does take out of that that specialness out yeah. of it. Like You kind of want to, I, I think with a supercar, yeah. you want to look at it and go like, well, I'm not sure I want to take that out today <laughs> because of like, I, you know, whatever yeah. the reason yeah. is. Well, then, your car's... It, it, literally the Mercier Lago could fit right into your car collection whether yeah. you'd want it or not but like it's those types of cars yeah. that the one thing that I've pinpointed it to is if you can like drive and do a very normal day-to-day chore with it like oh I need milk I'm just going to go to the local shop and I'm going to park up and get milk if you can do that in a supercar then it takes away the fun of driving it because you're doing the normal stuff yeah. like with you and your f40 or uh whatever it is yeah. you're not going to do that so when you do go for a drive you're going to ring the gears out and you're going to really enjoy it or and if you go and do go and get the oh, milk yeah, you're yeah. like this is crazy what <laughs> yeah, am i doing yeah, exactly yeah and you kind of feel like a superhero doing such a normal thing in such a stupid car because yeah. everyone's looking at me like that guy's mental <laughs> <laughs> and you're like yeah that's me i'm mental <laughs> and, yeah we've totally lost that i think like you're saying you've you've really liked going to drive the peugeot mm. i think everyone if you daily daily something that's in theory ridiculous but not that ridiculous to daily so you could daily a laferrari if yeah. you wanted to you, easily and, like no problem yeah but like how does that that becomes your go? norm and exactly. then where do you get your excitement yeah. from like yeah. it's so nice i i love it when i go abroad and get a rental car yeah that's got like a one liter engine <laughs> yeah. and then normally a better infotainment system than yeah. any of my other cars <laughs> yep that, that is definitely a thing and then you come back and you drive something and you're like oh okay um yeah yeah mm, yeah this is tricky yeah the first time i went in chris's lp640 yes and sat in it i went <laughs> When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
with him to collect it. <laughs> and I think it had a bunch of issues that needed sorted yeah. from when he was bought. He bought it. One, for example, was I think that all the tire pressures weren't even, and it just didn't drive in a straight line. <laughs> no, but, I think I think that was just emotional. <laughs> <laughs> but I got into the the driving seat and was like, whoa, like people talk about your legs being skewed or whatever, but this mm-hmm. is a whole nother yeah, level. Like yeah. they're in a different postcode after the left over there. <laughs> and then the, the, to get your, your arms in the right position, you had to pull the, I think you had to, it's that typical Italian thing of like seats quite far away, but yeah. ha, what is it? No, your feet are far away, but the steering wheel's not. Is that what you mean? Yeah. So you, you basically have to pull the seat really far forward so you can touch the pedal. Yeah, but no, then so you can touch the steering wheel. Yeah, but then your feet are up around your like, yeah. ears. <laughs> yeah, off to the side. Yeah, and then you have got this crazy dash, and then all the the paddles and whatever. And then I think it took us ages to work out how to was it open the bonnet. Probably open the bonnet. A friend of mine just had a real problem trying to do that because it's really close to the steering column. Yeah, and it's just to the just to the right of it. But yeah, the the car is just. It's not built for a human. <laughs> it's not. It's not built for a human. Like I don't know who it's built for, but like, not not me. Yeah. Like, and you can really max, especially with my exhaust system on the car. I spend more like an hour and a half in the car, and it's you're like, okay, I'm done now. <laughs> 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 Which means that you really cherish the first forty five minutes, and then anything longer than that, you're like, this is just going to go downhill from here. Because <laughs> <laughs> I had I had a couple of questions before when you were going to come on previously i yeah. asked some of the audience what your where they had any questions for you and yeah. at sora patil three yeah said do you have any future plans for the mercy largo possible replacements and just before you got here i was looking on your instagram and this is one thing which i don't know whether this was live or not but you'd like just running up to this one is you said oh i've just landed in dubai yeah this was like wednesday yeah or thursday yeah and i was like you're, you're meant to be here on friday morning <laughs> is this is this really gonna happen yeah but previously you'd said oh replace it was like replacing my mercy lager it's like has he got rid of it, <laughs> got rid of it. <laughs> that was one of the hardest videos to title in the entire world because fundament like technically it is the lamborghini replacement but it's a temporary temporary replacement so the mercy largo is currently getting painted so it's off the road for two months and my local aston martin dealership which is under the grange dealer network were like look whilst the lambo's away why don't we give you a car that you can document like something that's slightly different well thank you very much yeah exactly <laughs> like who's gonna say no to that but then when i filmed it obviously they wanted me to experience and share the experience of what it's like to collect a car from that dealership so i had done all of that and we had created this awesome video of me collecting this aston martin vantage i'd said this is a temporary thing at the moment it's looking like it's going to be six months but it might be 12 months so i still don't know when that car is going to go back but all i know is it's going to be a permanent feature yeah. on my channel for a while whilst the lamborghini's away so i was like this is like the coolest thing like i'm replacing my lamborghini whilst it goes for paint but obviously like i haven't bought the car so i can't really say that like collecting my yeah. aston martin so i couldn't go with the title collecting my new aston martin vantage and i couldn't really go well i haven't sold the lambo so like it was like really weird like how yeah. do i do this fine line of i can't write a paragraph for a title explaining why i've got this car so in the end i was like i'm just gonna have to go with like lamborghini replacement and in the first minute i said look my lamborghini's off the road for the next two months this is replacing it temporarily <laughs> please don't hate me <laughs> just before you got here I, I watched the 
the start of that video yeah like, okay cool <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah i understand it now um so the the plans with the mercy lago and the replacement all oh, this is like this is a whole other podcast like it's deep it's deep because the mercy lago is my dream car always was my dream car i knew that it wasn't going to be a forever car as much as I would like to think that I could keep it and take it to my deathbed and yeah. pass it on to the next generation. Um, I knew that it was an investment from a business point of view as well. And I've got a lot of money tied up in that car and it's actually stopping me from doing some really cool stuff on the channel because yeah. I know how much money I've got in that car. If it was in my bank account, yeah. I could be like, I'm going to do drive the world with Sam. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so I know that at some point I'm going to have to come and sell that car. So my dream was to always restore the car back to its original factory condition right. and settings. So if there was a way of retrofying it, but with a little bit of modern tech, like maybe like upgrading the suspension to 2019, yeah. ties to 2019 tech, um, so that it drove like a new Mercia Largo. Yeah. That was always like a dream of mine, but obviously straight piping it and making it sound yeah. like a Formula One car at the same time so that you could get that sort of, what cars used to be like, mm. but still have a little bit of like the comforts that we have nowadays yeah. in cars. Bluetooth audio and whatever. Exactly. Oh, that car's got Bluetooth as standard. Does well, it? an optional extra. Does it have like a Pioneer audio system or something? Kenwood. 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 I remember Kenwood. looking at Chris's and being like, wait, what? This came from the yeah. factory? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. But what was also hilarious was my Gallardo was a 2011. This Mercia Largo is a 2009, yet this has Bluetooth. My Gallardo didn't. That's weird. It's classic Lambo. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm in this weird place with the Mercia Largo where I know that I'm going to sell it at some point. But to me, it is the pinnacle of emotion yeah. of, from a car. So I can't work out whether I upgrade it and spend more money because I know I'm not going to get the same level of excitement, emotion and passion. Yeah and feeling from driving a car. So I can't go and buy an Aventador yeah. because it's not going to be as enjoyable as a Mercilago, yet it's going to cost me more money. Yeah. Uh, do I go the same or something similar and try and spend the same amount of money, still keep it within like that kind of era and go and like buy a 430 Scud yeah. because I love that car and I think it's really, really cool. But again... I'm spending the same amount of money, but getting less. And it's not the Mercy Lago. And yeah. it's not the Mercy Lago. It's not that dream car. So I'm going to miss the V12 and I'm going to miss owning that car. The doors go up and it's terrible to drive, but it's fun at the same, yeah. t same time. So I've kind of come to the realization and I'm happy and I've accepted the fact that I'm probably going to have to downgrade. Mm. And I'm going to try and spend as much money as I can to get as much enjoyment and fun out of the car as possible but it's not going to be anywhere near a uh, Mercy Lago. Yeah. And weirdly, I kind of like going back to the idea of like an AMG, yeah. but going like GTR maybe, mm. and like just going silly crazy with it. Or doing like a project car and buying a manual R8 V10. So like the first yeah, gen yeah. manual R8 V10 and supercharging it. So I've got like 700 brake horsepower through a manual gearbox. Mm. Like something like that excites me more than trying to get in like a 720S. Yeah. That's kind totally. of, yeah. So that's where I am at. And I think hopefully that answers the question as best as possible. That at some point, yeah, the Mercy Lago will go. And I'm really happy with that chapter. I'm really happy the fact that I set a YouTube channel up and it managed to you get bought your me. dream car. I bought my dream car. So it's amazing. I don't want to 
try and yeah. like continue the dream and feel like oh what's I've... my next dream car? Ex- exactly yeah there is no, there's nothing GTO. <laughs> okay. yeah exactly there's nothing i've got a weird obsession with chirons at the moment i don't know why but like that's a jump yeah <laughs> i'm gonna go down to like hr and bugatti and be like hello i've got a mercilago to part exchange please and I've, they're like i'm doing this new series buying my next hypercar would you like to give me a hypercar yeah. <laughs> exactly so it's just it's it's um it's a really really interesting i'm just gonna hold on to the mercilago i'm gonna get it painted i'm gonna get it ready for the road enjoy it and enjoy it and not really think about what's next when it comes there'll come a point in time when you're like it's time yeah and then it's time yeah exactly and then there'll be a whole video series <laughs> <laughs> including some great response videos <laughs> yeah responding to your comments after episode one <laughs> how many videos are you putting out at the moment i am trying to uh do three a week right uh which i've i feel like is a nice balance that still keeps my sanity because uh, I think anything more than four or five a week uh, you just go mental because I went through a stage where I was doing like every single day and I did it for like yeah. three months and uh, I, I genuinely had like a mental breakdown yeah. it was just so intense to just be on all of the time editing and I didn't have a personal life never saw my family yeah. I was always away and it kind of sucked and I took a lot of uh, compromises for that um, so now I'm really trying to find that perfect balance because the thing is, there's that balance as well of quality over quantity, which I've always struggled with. And mm. I think my audience would agree with me that sometimes I've taken... Quanti- put out some rubbish. Yeah, <laughs> quantity over quality. And I've always like apologized and stood up to the content that I've just not felt proud of yeah. posting. And now if I shoot a video and I edit it and I'm like, nah, I, I will literally yeah, delete yeah. it and throw it away. Um, and I'll wait for the right video. And now I'm really in this moment where I want to evolve my content. I physically can't do it because yeah. i'm not an editor i was just filming yeah. cars like i've not come into this to be an editor or, or anything so i really want to go down the route of trying to up the production make people give people more value in the production yeah. uh because i feel like that's where things are going with the likes of netflix and everything else yeah. competing so i want to up the production potentially reduce the output for now yeah um and go from there but the one struggle I've always had is obviously YouTube favor people that upload so much. They yeah. favor the algorithms favor everyone that uploads. So you kind of have to try and find that balance as well. Is if you go to one video a week, YouTube robots will look at that and be like, "Wait, you've gone from uploading three times a week and giving us viewers that much that often to once a week." Okay, yeah, we're just going to put you down the algorithm line now. You're yeah. not a priority for us. And, and you're then, like, hey, algorithm, yeah. you go make one video a week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And when it's your income, <laughs> you're really like, oh, you're really struggling to work out what the best thing to do is on YouTube. And I'm still struggling. Like, it's a trial and error every day. Yeah. And I've been doing it for 10 years. But YouTube just go, there are the goalposts. Wait six months. Now we're going to put them there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we're not going to tell you about it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They love doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Is it is it quite sort of lonely? Is it, is it difficult? Are you working by yourself most most uh, of the yeah, time? Yeah, I'm always always working by myself. Um, it is. It can be lonely. It can be very lonely. Like for the for the last seven days, I've spent more time on a plane or an airport or in a hotel room by myself than I have with my girlfriend. Yeah, which I'm totally happy with. I chose this, and I yeah. knew that this was going to happen. This is the life. 
Exactly. And by no means am I complaining. Like, oh, another <laughs> airport, another flight. Like, yeah. uh, like oh, I've got to go drive another supercar. <laughs> exactly. But it isn't, it isn't normal. It isn't yeah. normal. And I find myself in a lot of social situations, whether it be friends' birthdays or like friends getting married. Mm. And I find myself like really struggling to, to talk to people because I spend more time talking to a camera yeah. than I do a person. And when I'm editing, I'm by myself. I've got headphones in. I'm not listening to yeah. myself. I'm listening to the mistakes because I know where they are and that's how I edit my videos. So I'm talking to a camera and then sat down, headphones in, listening to myself back and then editing the video and it's all cut up. It's not a real conversation like this mm. is. So when I then find myself in social situations and I am talking to people that I've never met before, I'm not that good at it. And I'm kind of quite a bit of an introvert at the same time, which is, which is probably quite weird, but I don't find it that easy to talk in social situations and I don't like being center of attention and so I've got a YouTube channel with nearly a million followers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, what car do you drive? A Lamborghini. <laughs> it's a really cool one, man. Really cool. <laughs> Loud exhaust, straight pipes. Yeah. So yeah, I, I like I. I found myself. I, I find myself then coming away from these social situations in full panic and anxiety mm. because most people that I meet, they will have heard of what I do like I was in a wedding in Cyprus and I, I have a five minute conversation with someone they go oh, so like, what do you do and I'm like oh, <laughs> I make videos for YouTube and I like, make mm. coffee oh you're the YouTube guy <laughs> like and they kind of like you're so cool people know that you're there but then when they actually meet you they like can put two and two yeah. together and then all of a sudden like I full on panic and I'm like oh my god like what must they think of me like they've obviously heard about me like they have they watched a video like what do they think and then I come away from that social encounter and I'm like sat there with my girlfriend I'm like did I come across okay like did I like did I do everything that I should have done like did I did I feel like did, you, did I sound normal <laughs> and like I then get myself in like a full on panic mode because I don't actually know how to yeah, act yeah. that well in those situations. And then like when I come away from it, I'm trying to review and I probably... That's Overanalyzing Exactly, everything. yeah. And so it's like, yeah, it's just, that's Paul, he's a nice guy. Yeah, 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 but I come away from that and I think like, oh my God, like I probably came across as a bit of an idiot. <laughs> I couldn't talk to them. Like I was probably really awkward and they've come away and they'd be like, oh, did you have a chat with that guy from YouTube? Yeah, yeah. he can't actually talk to humans. Like, <laughs> that's kind of how I... I can see why he films cars. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I get like really, uh, really self-conscious and, and anxious in those social environments mm. that it's, it's a little bit tricky. The annoying thing about, I guess, with YouTube, and you must find one thing is... You don't necessarily want to go on every like product launch or whatever because you don't want to have the same content as everyone yeah, else. Yeah. And most people that go to work work with a crew of people or a group of people and they see them every day. And YouTube, the uh, annoying way of how it works now is your group of YouTube friends mm -hmm. is a group of YouTubers who you see yeah. at all the events and stuff. Yeah. But if you see them at an event... Unfortunately, that means there's two videos coming from that event. So it's yeah. probably not the best for your YouTube channel. So yeah. YouTube is actually incentivizing you yeah. to not hang out with your friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I've never thought of it like that. But what, like now you said it, like, yeah, we have, a, we have WhatsApp groups and we chat to each other all of the time. And But then whenever we actually see each other in person, it's 
at a different launch and all we're talking about is how we're going to make our videos different mm. so that we're providing different angles for everyone to watch so it's hilarious how you've just like <laughs> analyzed it but it's so true and you're like sat there and you're like okay like how am i actually going to create a piece of content that's different and unique and i think the hardest thing about media launches as well is you you get told where you're going to drive you get told where you're going to stop you get told where you need to be and at what time so actually the sort of general basic premise of your video is it going to be exactly the same yeah. as everyone else's so then how do you do something different how do you create something different that excites your audience enough for them to go and watch your video yeah. because everyone then uploads at the same time because of the bloody embargoes <laughs> so like like you're kind of in a lose-lose situation at the same time like you can't actually hang out with your friends like <laughs> it's, it's, it's a crazy situation and like right now for example like you're in london you've been in dubai yeah sam has decided he wants to create new content so he's traveling the world and going yeah. as far away as possible yeah. tim is in america <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> james is uh, doing target florio yeah, yeah, f12 literally. tdf <laughs> so it is it is and i think sam is actually a really good example because me and him used to make so many videos together we loved it we had loved going yeah, on yeah you're always together whenever i saw you guys it was you two together driving together exactly and like we have so many amazing memories so many funny videos we did some really stupid stuff and like that i feel like was such a great time on youtube but because we were always together our videos were always the same yeah. and we were cross-pollinating our audience so our audience would tune into my video or his video and then go and watch the other the other sort of um view of it but we realized and identified that actually we can't really continue this for that much longer unless we combine and we decided that we would just sort of do our own stuff. Sam went over to America and really tried to sort of create his niche, which then obviously prompted him to start planning Drive the World. And then we've just kind of gone and done our own thing. And then whenever we're together, we come back and we always like do some fun videos and stuff. So it is nice. And I kind of wish that I had done a bit of Drive the World with him, but I just couldn't get my Lambo into Europe when he was in Europe, which is so <laughs> annoying, but we really tried. But I've seen him as much as possible, and hopefully I'm going to see him in the Middle East at the end of the year yeah. as well. Uh, but what he's doing is, like, insane on so many levels. I was like, dude, props to you for putting out that much content whilst traveling, yeah. whilst trying to stress out about getting your car from one side of the world to the other whilst all of these logistics making flights booking hotels doing everything and his girlfriend's with him but he's not letting her do anything like he's like no no, no i need full control over everything <laughs> and like she's just there like having this amazing time but wanting to help him yeah. because she's seeing that he's getting stressed out and right really yeah, exactly and so it is it is quite funny to watch and see the behind the scenes stuff and i speak to him pretty much every day like whether it's on the phone yeah. voice notes or whatever um and they're having an amazing time but at the same time like I know that there are some moments which are frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is just such a cool project. And I know when he initially started, and I, I haven't really been, I've seen a few odd video, and, but I haven't been tracking it or yeah. anything. It, the videos weren't doing like amazingly or anything. Yeah. I and I think, I think, I don't know where that's evolved. I think what, what he noticed very, very quickly is wherever you uploaded and whatever VPN you used or whatever location you were uploading, his demographic and location of the audience oh, right. shifted wherever he went. So I find that when I go and upload videos in Dubai, it's using whatever magical yeah. Dubai internet it is, and it never performs as well as if I'm in the UK. So do you, have you VPN uploaded to the UK? No, I've just you can totally waited do that. until I got back to the UK and yeah. uploaded all of the content. But then when you go to America, 
obviously the audience is much bigger like everyone's on the internet you're so close to the youtube headquarters there is like some real magic in the air that when you go there you see your audience demographic location change and shift and everyone in the u.s is watching your videos and you have these massive spikes this has given me a genius idea. Yeah, what, move to America? No, I'm just going to use a VPN oh, for and, the upload, US. <laughs> and upload my stuff as if I'm in America. Yeah, do it, because it's crazy. The one thing that I thought would be really cool is film in the UK, have a US editor, yeah. so you, whilst you sleep, they edit yeah. and upload, and then you wake up, promote the video, yeah. so you're getting their VPN and yeah, everything, yeah, yeah. but, you're, but it, all of the work's happening whilst you sleep. So it's like the only problem with that, and I could actually probably just about do it here because I have crazy fast internet. Is how fast yeah. your internet is, yeah. and whether you can upload the files to someone. Yeah, yeah, which I don't think I can because I live out in the sticks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have. Well, like... only in, uh, I'm pretty central London. I'm not yeah. give away the exact location, <laughs> but I'm somewhere in London. And Clapham. I yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually live next to Archie Hamilton. Um, I wish I could give away his address. I love that. <laughs> I, actually, I know where he lives. <laughs> not going to do that. No, never going to do that. But I didn't have proper fiber optic broadband until yeah. a, a year ago, and the only reason we got it is a group of us on our street bought a business line. Bought uh, a gigabit line and yeah. shared it between six houses. Uh, okay. And you yeah. still can't get fiber optic. Yeah. And I'm like pretty central London, which wow. is crazy. Yeah. So I now have a hundred hundred. Wow. Which uploading is just is that like what five minutes? Yeah, Less than just, that. When you're like, oh, I could just upload the raw file from the <laughs> editing program. It's forty gigs. Yeah, whatever. That's like an hour. <laughs> Enjoy the footage. <laughs> Everyone's computers is crashing as they're loading it up. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's cool and obviously tim's in america at the moment yeah i mean stuff's going crazy i love what he's doing with that 4gt because i know that when he announced that he had bought that car there was a lot of people out there like oh my god like i applied for a 4gt2 and i've got 400 cars and how's tim got one and not me and like i think tim obviously fit underneath the category so well for what ford wanted to totally achieve with the 4gt and tim's Probably one of the only four GT owners has actually gone and done what he said. And yeah. he's like, I'm just going to drive it and I'm going to show everyone this car. And he specced it wildly, which I have massive props to him. I saw it in Monaco. Yeah. It looks it insane. Looks so cool. And he's just driving it across America. It's the coolest thing. I, I'm, I don't want to give away any more of his plans, but I don't think it's stopping in America. I think there's more driving yeah, to be done this year. I think there's loads of plans with that car. Yeah. And I remember when... Yeah, when that that thing came out and he said, I'm getting one, and the amount of fury from people, yeah. like, oh, I've bought every Ford for the last 100 years. Yeah. And like, unfortunately for you guys, Tim has, Tim's won a lot of Ford Focuses. <laughs> Focus yeah, exactly. Like yeah. Four or something. Yeah. And, and I think he's got another Ford coming. I again, like, I don't, I don't know what he's announced or what he's not, but I'm pretty sure he's got something else. Well, coming. he seems to have bought a Focus, a Focus RS once every like six months. Yeah. So it's, and doing cool Ford. stuff to it as well. And he's done, yeah, that like, love, Asbo one. Yeah, I is love great. that series. It is just the coolest thing. He's just like anyone that's bought out a modification for it's gone. Yep, I'll have that. <laughs> I, I love it now. How he's he's just embraced. He's really sort of got into his stride of like obviously. I mean, not just got into his stride. He's doing <laughs> yeah. exceptionally well. But yeah. Rather than buying a car, not driving it very much, blah blah blah. He's like, he's. I'm. Oh, t- yeah. I'm going to fly my car to America. Yeah, it's. A limited edition, for, I've got a 4GT, I'm going to fly it to America, I'm going to do a road trip around America, I'm going to take it around the Nürburgring, I'm going to do blah, blah, oh. blah, 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 and you're like, 
Every, That's sick. Every car in his garage now tells a story that you can go back and watch every episode of that car and it and it tells a story, which I think is so cool because I think we all get caught up very quickly. I know we talked about this earlier, but like you buy a car. I'm but should I buy this? Should I buy that? Yeah. They can deliver it. My first drive. Well, Here's an exhaust. Things all the, all of that. But I think Tim, like with the AMG GTR, he just went wild with the power with Rentec and then was taking it around the Nürburgring with the Senna. Unfortunately, it tells a totally different story yeah. to anything else he's done before like he wouldn't have wanted that at all but the fact that he's got that story now and he's able to visit that car back on the production line and and share people with the update it's such an unfortunate situation but actually it's a cool story that no one else has documented so it's so unique in that sense the focus rs's are awesome the 4gt is insane and then like everything else that he's got he like dips back in and he'd be like oh yeah i forgot i had this gt8 like and you're (laughs) like so did i (laughs) drive it (laughs) and then it is so cool and like i tell you what i think one of the best videos on youtube is tim driving the chinque roadster I haven't watched it. Oh watched my it. god! Him and I think it's Dan. I am Dan. Am I in America? It's got the two chinques. I was in a, in a WhatsApp group that day, and he was like, "Guys, this just yeah. happened." Yeah, it is insane, and I watched that back on repeat like six times. It's, <laughs> it's so, it is so cool. It is so cool. I'm very very jealous. So, along with you, at the very beginning, you said you filmed all these videos during the summer, and then in the winter, you were like, "I've got nothing to do." Yeah. Has, how do you spread out through the year now? How how does that work now? Um, presumably there are times of years when there's absolutely there's more going on and there's time. Absolutely. So in previous years, I have tried to film as much as I can. So I get to the beginning of the year, like January, and I kind of map out a plan and an idea of what I'm going to do. Yeah. And I'll just sort of like try and do as many trips as possible. I'll try and use my contacts as best as possible to create this content. But fundamentally, I'll have like a storyline that runs through the entire year. Like last year was basically trying to get the Mercury Largo. So I moved into my new apartment. I had the C63. Um, I did some really cool things like ice driving. I went to America and... Stop you for a second. Yeah. How sick is ice driving? Ice driving is the coolest (laughs) coolest thing in the entire world because, like, life is in slow motion, but you're going sideways in a super. I remember your video with, was it with AMG? Yes. Drifting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it like a record or something? Uh, We we were originally going to go for a record, but in the end, I think they panicked a little bit with what the actual record was, and we just decided that we'd do like a, a, a one mile consecutive drift. That's still a long time. It is. It is a long time. So we had to tell the story. I was really nervous that I was going to be totally Mm. useless at it. Mercedes were nervous that I was going to be totally useless at it and the whole video would just die. But there was a moment where I had done the one mile drift. So we had filmed all of that. And they were like, okay, can you just go around as many times as you can so that we can get all of the B-roll? And I went round and I did like a three mile drift, like a consecutive <laughs> drift of three miles. And I was like, did anyone catch that? And they were like looking back and there was just like loads of like individual <laughs> clips of all of these stuff. And I was like, oh my God, like, so the video went out and it was so cool. It was such a cool project. And um, but yeah, like we did a one mile drift and then off camera, I did like a three mile consecutive drift, which I was like, and then I binned it into a snow wall hard because <laughs> I got too excited. I was like, I'm going to try one handed drifting and it just went straight off. <laughs> So I always have like a plan and a story, but every year up until 2019 for the last three or four years, Goodwood Festival Speed has been the the sort of moment where I've just wanted to stop and kind of 
not look at another car again, not look at my laptop, not look, and I kind of burnt out. Yeah. So this year was like the year that I was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to try my best to balance so that I can have a little bit of downtime. Mm. So the first half of the year was crazy and chaotic. And I got to June and I basically said, I'm not going to travel. I'm not going to go on a plane. I'm not going to do anything. And I'm going to reassess my channel. I'm going to reassess everything that I want to do and try and create because i think when you go on all of these trips and you're driving these cars everything's given to you yeah so like, like you go a to, formula and yeah and i kind of felt like i was losing the creativity i was losing my um thought process and like brain capacity to be like what is cool like what's different what hasn't been done before so i used the summer i kind of ticked everything along i tried to upload as much as possible with exciting stuff and i know that this year like the summer it was kind of a little bit dead on my channel like not a lot happened i obviously filmed the 812 in largo in town mm. which was insane <laughs> but i kind of just wanted to tick people along but behind the scenes work on some like insane stuff and luckily a lot of it's coming off and next year we're going for a world record an actual world nice. record. Um, I've obviously got the Aston Martin, which is an amazing thing. I've got the project with the Lamborghini painting. I went to Dubai because we're importing a cheap supercar back from the I Middle East. I saw this title. Yeah. What, what, was the, what is the title of that video? Um, so today? Buying, uh, a cheap buying a cheap supercar, supercar from Dubai. Dubai. Yeah. Episode one. Episode one. <laughs> so I, when I bought my Mercy Largo... I had been back and forward with a company called Eurospares who specialise in Ferrari, Maserati and Lamborghini. I'm not going to go into too much detail because I don't want your, yeah. your podcast to start sounding <laughs> like an ad. But anyway, I had a bunch of meetings with them. And we're like, let's do something cool that no one's done before. And so originally it was, let's convert my car to an SV. Then we realised how much it would cost. And it was like a yeah. hundred grand because mm. the, 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 like the, he had one body kit. And it was the only OEM yeah. Lamborghini SV body kit. And he's waiting for like a Mercy SV to crash so that he then, can sell yeah. it. Um, so he was like, I don't want to give you that kit in case you crash it. And then like my stock's dead. Yeah. So he was like, look, I've got so many connections with people around the world. I buy cheap cars all of the time. Most of them I break into parts so that I can then okay. sell the parts. Yeah. What about we go and find a cheap supercar, mainly in the Middle East, because there's a lot of cheap supercars, there's a lot of cheap supercars out there. And we import it back, document that, use the parts in the warehouses that I've got to sort of spec it up to be a little bit cool, and we'll go from there. And I was like, I mean, that just sounds like the coolest thing in the entire world. <laughs> that sounds so epic. I was like, this is how much money I can provide. <laughs> if you can put the rest in, then we'll go from there. Please, sir. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So we combined this pot of money, and we're like, okay, I'll fly to Dubai. I'll go to some of the showrooms. I'll see who I can meet up with and what cars. Like, we found a 2013 Gallardo that was built in the 50th anniversary year. So in the UK, like, I think it would be around 115 grand. Yeah. This Gallardo was 84 grand. Like, so cheap. Yeah. And I was like, Wow. Okay, this is opening my eyes up to this whole new world. And I nearly imported an LP640. So in the UK, LP640s were ranging between 180 to 230 grand. Yeah. I found one for sale for 100 grand in Dubai. Yeah. But I didn't have the resources, the knowledge, and the connections to sort it, to, out. To sort it out and get it back. So these guys do. So that's why we're doing this series. So it's quite a cool series. It is. 
going to be really exciting. That moment where we've actually bought the car and it's going to get put on a boat and sent back to the UK and land on Arab plates. Mm. And then get, <laughs> like, I'm just like getting so excited about it because I still have the Lambo. This is going to be a cool series. The Aston Martin Vantage isn't going anywhere. And I've just passed my bike test as well. So I've like got all of these cars that I'm just like, I haven't got enough space outside my apartment for, but like there are so many different avenues of content that I can go for. And there's so much other cool stuff that I'm working on in the back background that hopefully between now and the next summer it's going to be like oh okay yeah like it's worth tuning into yeah. supercars of london now so i'm looking forward to it cool it sounds 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 wicked yeah alongside youtube yes do you have any other things going on like other businesses or anything like that um i've kind of dabbled with a few different things um that i've never unfortunately spent that much time in because I need to pay my bills, which I know is where like YouTube and stuff. So I've never really had enough time. Like I've got the clothing stuff that runs alongside the YouTube channel, which I just enjoy ticking along because it's interesting and I like designing and drawing. Um, But we're actually in the process of doing a couple of things that hopefully will launch next year, which will, which I can't really talk about now because like the meetings just are so early on. Um, But YouTube for the last 10 years has literally been like 99% of, of how I earn my money and and the business side of it. Um, As much as I would like to spend time, do other stuff and launch other projects and put my name and hands into something else. It's, it's the time that unfortunately, I've and putting out when I looked at I looked at your channel t- just before here, and t- in the last week, and I guess it's week ish, you've done six videos. It was probably a week and a half, maybe. Yeah. It's like taking delivery of my first motorbike. Yeah. Preparing my Lamborghini to put the paint job. Yeah. Taking a seven hundred seventy horsepower M five to the gym. Collecting yeah. my Lamborghini replacement, brand new Peugeot two hundred five <laughs> first drive, and buying a first cheap supercar from Dubai. I was like, bloody hell! There's a yeah. lot been going on. Like, yeah. That's, just putting all that together continually yeah is a serious amount of work and drain and yeah i do you know what i think i think potentially those videos i think summarize my channel as as best as possible in terms <laughs> of like the diversity yeah. like I, I whilst i love supercars and everything will always revolve around these highly tuned modified yeah. expensive exotic cars i do have other interests and things that excite me which i'm lucky enough and also passionate to be able to put in and add them into the content like going to the gym and stuff yeah. is something that i'm really really keen and passionate on so just sort of like bolting in the idea of taking a crazily tuned m5 and going to the gym like i, I kind of quite like that and then the motorbike stuff as well is so new to me that i love all of that but the weather outside is kind of now preventing yeah. me from going out on two <laughs> wheels but that you is, could do you could do I could, yeah but i'd probably die <laughs> so yeah, I think that is a fairly good uh, review of my, of my channel. The last couple of weeks has been fairly fairly cool. Yeah, because I was going to say, do, do you have a niche? But I feel like we've sort of summarised it yeah. in those, those five videos. It's like yeah. crazy tuned vehicles, generally awesome, it's, loud yeah. stuff. Yeah, I think obviously the name supercars of london if you discover that you'd click on it and expect to see supercars in london yeah but the way that the whole channel has evolved over the years i've thought so many times about setting up a second channel i've thought so many times about rebranding yeah um obviously soul is the sort of main um 
SOL is is what people see it as, yeah. but obviously Supercars of London is still every time I introduce the video, it's Supercars of London. Yeah. And I kind of think there's so much stuff that I do now because my life doesn't just revolve around going to London and finding yeah. these cars anymore, that it kind of needs some sort of shift one way or another. Do I turn it into soul productions? Do I turn yeah. it into soul media? Do I turn it into something totally different? Do I just go, oh, it's PJW now? Like, <laughs> I, like, I have no idea what to do. And I'm kind of just rolling along with it. And I think over time with this whole sort of new avenue and direction i want to take it in with higher production potentially i'll start to shift it away from what the words are supercars of london but then when i dip into london and i see these crazy cars driving around i'm like oh my god this is still where i started this is still where i get my buzz from and i love it so much that just i don't know what to do anymore (laughs) (laughs) i think as you like you've grown loads some of the audience will be they've just come in and they want to see a loud exhaustive video of whatever and they're not necessarily buying into yeah. you and the whole brand but then over time people follow you and actually they just want to know more about you yeah and have you at one point made the decision going i'm going to show more of my life or have you always tried to separate the two yeah right? and then is there that gray area and then also i guess moving forwards you can do there's loads more opportunities outside of just driving a loud car or whatever absolutely that you can bring to the channel and then how you, like you said, how do you tie that in? Yeah. Yeah. So I think the, the balance between my life away from the camera has always been separate to the life on camera. Uh, That's by no means saying that like I'm living a double life and (laughs) what you see on camera isn't really me. (laughs) Like I I come off from the camera and I'm like talking in like some sort of like Liverpool accent or something. (laughs) Um, But like, for example, I met my girlfriend at university before I had an Instagram account before YouTube really took off. And she's been with me the entire time that she's never wanted to be on camera. She's never had the desire to to sort of be visible. And she obviously works. So it would probably be quite awkward as it like for the last, mm. t- if she was on my channel for the last 10 years, like a lot of people would know her <laughs> and her work wouldn't probably be the same as what it is. Yeah. So that side of things with my family, obviously I never put my mum, my sister or my brother, I don't think it's ever been on my channel because like I love being able to just switch off from everything and not talk about what I've been doing and just sort of have family time. But then obviously I've got friends that love being on the channel. They love cars and like, we just love being idiots together. Mm. So they come into the channel and I think uh, my audience get to see uh, that side of things as well. So there is kind of like a, I hide my family and personal life that way, but at the same time being idiots with some friends that I've been doing at school and university. I took one of my uni friends to his wedding in an, an Aventador, which was cool. Cause he always said like, Sick. whenever I get married, I want you to drive me. <laughs> so that was really, really cool. So, yeah, sort of making that balance has always been something that I've built in. But over time, it's been easy to build in because it's not been like I've grown overnight and got a million followers and I don't know what to do. So it's always been a progressive, which I'm really, really grateful for because I can always adapt. So from that side of things, yeah, I, I kind of stick an emoji over my girlfriend's face when I post it. <laughs> when I'm like doing something that's away from cars, I just sort of hide her identity. But then like with the gym stuff, for example, I'm doing some really cool work with Michelin mm. and potentially with another fitness brand, which will really combine automotive with fitness. Because I think they go hand in hand. Like I obviously like staying in shape and I like feeling good because I kind of went through a weird patch where I was super unfit, mm. like 
played a football match and kind of felt like I was going to die. And I was like, okay, I'm not 16 anymore. Like I need to actually do something rather than eat McDonald's every day. So in it, sort of inputting that into my content as well and showing that my content is real and it's not just car reviews and driving the latest cars yeah. and it's got a little bit of diversification that, yeah, you can tune in and you can see the Lamborghini, but you can also see a totally different side that's a little bit more personal to me, whether it's going to the gym or going to like a cool burger place, which is the next video from Dubai. Right. So, yeah, just trying to do a little bit different, try and find new angles to to stuff and reinvent the wheel a little bit but also try and provide some innovative and creative content as well at the same time like that's always what i'm trying to work towards is getting better at providing interesting content that people want to watch and uh i just feel like right now we're on the cusp of something quite cool i think the next 12 months will be cool sick have you got any plans for sort of what happens after youtube or just ah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do you know what? Funnily enough, I'm I'm starting to build that into into my life because YouTube obviously has been such a huge part of 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 my, my last ten twelve years. I started YouTube with absolutely no idea where I wanted to be in 10 years time all I knew is I kind of wanted to drive supercars and this has enabled me to do that is there a long-term goal and strategy in YouTube probably not like I got into this as a bit of a in the right place at the right time there was never an exit strategy in place a lot of people would start a business with an exit strategy already in place it's a very difficult one to have an exit strategy from YouTube yeah yeah so I think if you kind of had a plan to build phone cases and you wanted mm. to go and launch a business and make a load of money you'd kind of be like okay but how am i going to get out of this am i going to sell it to apple am i going to sell it to amazon or am i just going to diversify my products and just go completely nuts yeah. and try and build an empire youtube was kind of like oh, i'm interested in business but youtube is such a weird and a kind of unique business structure mm. and 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 whole thing that I kind of came to the realization maybe like a couple of years ago that, yeah, I'm living my dream. And there are so many ways and avenues that you can go. You can go down a TV presenting route. You can go and start endorsing products and brands and potentially become ambassadors and do some really cool stuff that cross pollinates your audience with theirs. And for me with Supercars of London, I kind of want to, I feel like going out with a bang, like really putting together 12 months of insane content, just stuff that I never dreamt of being able to do, which is what a lot of companies are enabling me. So Mm. I'm like having meetings with companies that have big budgets and going, look, this is what I want to do. How can we make this happen? And it's having those meetings and stuff, which will create the content over the 12 months. I'm not saying that from now until the next 12 months, that's it. Yeah, that's the end. (laughs) But I've definitely started to think about ways in which I can diversify or, or or sort of like start the next chapter because yeah. i do feel like the the mercia lago was was one chapter on supercars yeah. of london like i started the channel with this dream i've achieved the dream there's not so much of a story to tell in terms yeah. of like where to go now but obviously the mercia lago is still on the channel and it's a really really cool project to have but then once that gets sold then where do i go yeah and i really thought that drifting was that next 10 years Mm. and i said that in the videos and like to then kind of have everything taken underneath my feet for with the drifting and it kind of falling into nothing yeah what happened to that i was like oh my god so 
this was probably the first time in my YouTube career that I got a little bit excited and announced something really before I should have. So I always learn over time that things can change, the goalposts can move. So don't say anything until until it's it's actually concrete. And I jumped the gun with this. Things were like the concrete was setting. It was like I had the I had the budgets approved, I had the ideas approved, but there was no contract signed. So I announced this whole drifting thing. I'm going to go on this drift journey. I'm going to be the next Ken Block. I love drifting. I love going sideways in cars. And I love being an idiot in them. And that was like my real passion. And I had three like big companies like with big budgets. And they're like, we're going to get you a car. We're going to put you through all of the training. And we're going to put you at Jim Carner Grid in front of Ken Block. And I was like, I'm going there to win. I'm not going there. Yeah. I don't want to turn up and be like, oh, look, there's that YouTuber guy that's like yeah. a charity. I'm going to go and win. So like, we had the, all of these meetings. We had everything set in place. First company pulls out. And they were like, we can't sponsor you this early on because it will look so biased that when you do get to this point, everyone's not going to take you seriously because you've had everything paid for yeah. So I was like, oh, okay, I, I understand that reasoning. It's really frustrating. But I'm not going to get there if you don't pay for it. <laughs> exactly. Like drifting is expensive and I didn't have the money because obviously I still wanted to run all of the supercar yeah. stuff. I had budgeted for all of that and the rest of the money was coming from these sponsors. A lot of drifters are sponsored. Ken Block doesn't put his own money into his right. drift cars. He's got Ford, he's got Monster, he's got all of these guys. So once that big sponsor fell out, the car went. Once the car went, I was left with a few academies that wanted to teach me how to drift. I had yeah. a few people that wanted to help me, but there was no budgets. So I was, I'd be turning up for free, which means I'm taking days out of my diary to learn how to drift, but I'm not getting paid for it where I could be going out and doing some other stuff and getting paid for it. And there was a massive realization moment where I went and did a day drifting and I made the video and that video earned me 40 pounds. Mm. And I was like, for a day... That's not that good. It's not that sustainable. <laughs> exactly. But then, obviously, if I went and bought a car, the costs incurred in the tires, the fuel, renting tracks yeah. and doing all of that, I would have been in a massive loss every day. If I was earning £40 per drifting, Like that just wasn't going to work. And then I got booked on to do this like filming stuff with brands, which was all to do with supercars, and it was like 1500 quid for the yeah. day. And I was like... That just does not add up. Yeah. I have to continue with what I know and what I'm already established in because that's where I'm going to earn the money because I've got bills to pay. Yeah. Like I can't just go and do drifting and hope that in six months' time that I'm going to be good and I'm going to have all of these sponsors because I'd have lost my house, I'd have lost my yeah. cars, I'd be living <laughs> back with my mum and I wouldn't have a business. So I had to make the decision that with these companies pulling out, I still obviously pursued it for like six months, which is why I didn't talk about it on the channel. Yeah. I just wanted to try and sort it out and I wanted to go drifting and it just never happened. And I didn't have enough money to go and buy my own car and do the own, my own stuff, which sucked. And I suppose that's probably the first time that I've really talked about what actually happened with the drifting. Because I, I, I 100% wonder, because I remember you launched it and I like the idea of yeah. drifting. Everyone likes drifting yeah. and the idea of it. And was like, that just sounds like the sickest thing. Like, yeah. Sounds like the sickest thing yeah. ever. Yeah. And then it just didn't happen. And I, I sort of wondered what happened. And I yeah. guessed that 
something it didn't was, happen. But it also, was so it was so frustrating because the one thing that I was excited about and what we never see, we only ever see like archive footage of Cristiano Ronaldo as a kid playing football. Mm. We only ever see him when he's at the top because we that's when we recognised him. So like Roger Federer, you're comparing yourself to these people now. No, I'm just I'm just <laughs> saying like imagine if we had, and I think it will start to happen. I it think will we happen. will start to see the next Lewis Hamilton. Uh, start filming himself on YouTube first, yeah. going go-karting, and you'll see that rise to success. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you're there at the top and you've got this entire library of content yeah. of how you Amazing. got there. Because that's kind of what I did with my dream supercar. So if I could do that and then get to the top of the next thing, that, would be that, so was, cool. that was how I was going to transition yeah. my dream away from finishing the chapter with the Mercy Lago documenting the next dream and the next chapter that was kind of away from just owning a car and actually going out and achieving something uh so if there's any sponsors out there that would like to sponsor my drifting i'm still up for it <laughs> um but it just if you want to buy a cheap drift car together i'll, I'll buy a drift okay car with you. okay we'll talk about this off camera <laughs> <laughs> so yeah yeah the uh the, the drifting kind of was was what I saw as potentially like the next ten years of content because yeah, yeah. then you could kind of pitch to to Netflix or Amazon and be like, look, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna try and be the number one drift yeah. car driver in the entire Red world. Everyone, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like think of the sponsors and uh, and the videos, yeah, drift videos. Yeah, it's insane. Are so sick in America. Like you see those guys absolutely smashing it, like Alex Choi with his yeah. M2. Like, <laughs> just like what a build, like what a build. But also like him just going out and shredding tire yeah. is like the coolest thing ever. So maybe one day, maybe one day, but yeah, I parked that idea. I chased it for a little bit, but the the problem was like the real money behind it just got pulled underneath yeah. my feet and I just kind of couldn't do anything and about it. And you got it. hit with the, with the audience thing of the audience yeah. just weren't there, weren't, yeah. they weren't ready yet. There's only so many times I can go drifting in a car park. Yeah. And I got invited so many times to be like, hey, do you want to come and do this drifting? And I was like, I, I can't just drift around cones. Yeah. Put some people there and I'll go and drift around people. But like your health and safety people might yeah, have yeah. something to say about it. But I need to like elevate the content. It's more interesting. Yeah. Blindfold me or something. <laughs> oh, we did that. JWWF12. Do you remember? Yeah. yeah I was yeah, like, yeah. hey, I got park this idea. Just, just turn up with your F12 and I'll tell you the idea. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's uh, yeah. Well, it will happen. You'll you'll be doing some drifting at some hopefully, point for sure. Hopefully. Okay, so I normally sort of wrap up these podcasts with five questions. Okay. So I've got five questions. For okay. You. Do you have a most memorable driving trip or journey? I okay. The one that has immediately come to my he- come into my head was it was myself in the hurricane. JWW in the 675 LT, Sam in his 540C, and Seb in his Lotus. Red crew versus orange crew. <laughs> and we left Monaco. Our end destination was Rome, where we were driving the 720S, and then we were driving back to Monaco. And we took ferries. We island hopped from Corsica to Sardinia and into Rome. And this was all funded by our own money. And we got off the ferry into Sardinia about 6 p.m., the sun was setting and the north of Sardinia, I can only describe it as Jurassic Park. It is beautiful 
the road was just this winding smooth piece of tarmac mm. and it, the speed limit was 50 mile an hour the entire time and for an hour and a half we didn't see another car so we didn't really stick to the speed limit but the entire drive was like driving through Jurassic Park with four screaming supercars and we got to the hotel and we just looked at each other and like I genuinely saw tears in everyone's eyes we were just like that was the best drive we have ever had yeah so i think that's that literally was the first thing that came to my head so i'd probably have to say that yeah i've i've, I've heard that from other people like james yeah saying that and all that yeah. sort of stuff okay if you could only drive one car for the rest of your life and you're allowed like a 500 pound banger to carry stuff around or whatever if you need okay what would it be i would go i'd go really really i'd go quite boring i think with this one because what I've learned over time is my driving style isn't necessarily like I'm not an aggressive driver. I don't particularly like going that fast, but I like driving something cool, something stylish that's comfy, but still has power. Yeah. So even whilst I've just been saying that I was going to land on something like a DBS super Legera or a Bentley yeah, Continental yeah, yeah. GT. But then whilst I was saying that, I was kind of like, well, why don't I just go Chiron? <laughs> so <laughs> i mean i'm going right to the top because there are so many cool, cool cars but at the same time like driving one car for the rest of your life probably a chiron fair i would love to say zonda 760 but i mean everyone that i've spoken to says they're pretty terrible to drive and quite uncomfortable and that would be that wouldn't be <laughs> yeah it's not real it isn't like i mean chiron's not realistic but <laughs> like a zonda just like is so impractical in so yeah. many ways like being 65 years old and still driving a zonda <laughs> like i kind of prefer to drive a chiron <laughs> yeah you'd be like oh i need to go get the milk okay i'm gonna take my bicycle <laughs> <laughs> exactly i think a chiron's fairly like utilitarian in that sense so yeah i think at 75 years old still driving a, a chiron would be pretty pretty baller that would very yeah. very baller right is there a, what's the most undervalued car you can think of at the moment undervalued undervalued car. you look at it and go that's amazing value going back to the r8s manual v10 r8 first gen because you just don't get naturally aspirated manual cars anymore and for it being mid-engine you've got crazy amounts of power it's super usable it's a great car don't think the running costs are that astronomical yeah um so they're and they're like sub 50k like literally one sold for like 43 grand Ooh. 43 and it's a supercar that is a supercar yeah yeah that is a fairly undervalued car in in my eyes anything else i'm gonna say Mercedes. I'm going to say Mercialago because... Because, guys, the prices need to go up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm looking to sell in the next three months, so I'm doing everything I can to just boost the prices a little bit. But actually, when you drive a Mercialago back-to-back with an Aventador, like the first-gen Aventador, because of the early computer tech that they put in the Aventador in the hope that it would make the car easier to drive, it actually just numbed everything down. Right. So the steering is fairly awful because they tried to make it a little bit more electric than the yeah. mercy that you just don't get the same feel through it the gearbox is like as bad as the mercy largo but it's automated now whereas the mercy largo mm-hmm. is kind of like uh, manual uh so like in auto mode the aventador's crap and so actually when you drive them back to back the price of them is quite similar, but the Mercy Largo needs to be worth more than a standard event. So yeah. Obviously, SV and those got, those yeah. are much more, but I think uh, an LP640 is a car that everyone needs to experience once. Like, <laughs> it's just mental. So, yeah, fairly cliche, but... There we go. Yeah. Fair enough. 
And the Persia Tour 8. <laughs> okay, what's the, the final question? What's the most interesting car? The most at the moment interesting you, car. So that you moment. find yourself Googling or looking at and going, Ooh, yeah. Probably the Koenigsegg Jesko or Jesko, Ooh. however you want to pronounce yeah. that. Because that car confuses me in so many levels. Like Koenigsegg, just as a manufacturer, pushed the boundaries on so many ways that. Again, like what we were talking about, like just that community, the owners' community at Koenigsegg, like they go out and drive their cars. There's always places of those cars, like in the snow and stuff. Yeah, doing and, donuts. And I've heard and been in them, and like they're fairly undrivable. Like they are just <laughs> like the wildest things. I went out in a Koenigsegg one one, and I was like, this guy's superhuman driving this car <laughs> just to keep it on the tarmac. Like they are literally almost undrivable. I've driven a Agera RS. Okay, yeah down the goodwood hill yeah and even that was like an experience there's so much emotion behind that car and obviously now with i think mclaren ferrari lamborghini they're all aston martin as well bentley they're all getting caught up in trying to build a larger customer base and trying to build the profits obviously because they're a business yeah. uh but i think the luxury that someone like Koenigsegg or pagani have is they can kind of scrap the R&D budgets and just go, whatever, we're just going to spend so much money on building these insane cars. And the thing with the Koenigsegg Jesko is it looks futuristic. Mm. It looks how I believe a supercar should look. It's just badass. When you compare that to like the McLaren GT, which is a great car, <laughs> but put that next to the yeah. Koenig, I know different price points. You look at the F8 Tributo, you look at yeah. the Hurricane Evo, like they are all great looking cars, but they're not wild with wings and yeah. bumpers that are going to cut your shins. Like they are quite understated and they've all got the same tech in between sports, sport plus. Yeah. So they all start to feel quite similar. Um, whereas the Koenigsegg, obviously everything is like in-house. It's all their own tech. Like Christian von Koenigsegg is just a mastermind yeah. genius behind it. And it just looks wild. So as soon as we start seeing them on the roads, I think I think though that car is like I see it on Instagram, and I just will click on it every I single time. I love how well, it, was, it was a couple of weeks ago now when I think <laughs> I know Gatti, what you're going to say. Launched their <laughs> 300 mile an hour thing, yeah. and Koenigsegg just turned around and went, "Well, if you do that in a production car in two directions." then we'll worry about our top speed record. <laughs> and then like a week later, they're like, okay, and we've just broken the our own 0 to 400 0 time. <laughs> and you look at the the specs of a Chiron in the 0 to 400 to 0. Yeah. And then you look at in, um, what was it, a Regera that they did it in, yeah. which is not even their fastest car. Yeah. It was 10 seconds faster. <laughs> <laughs> and that's like, but I thought you were going to say the the meme that started to come out where they photoshopped oh, the yeah, 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 camera yeah, car and they're like, oh, the Shiraz, it was what, just did 300 miles an hour. How do you think we filmed it? And it was like Koenigsegg <laughs> with yeah, the camera. Like the RS with the camera on top. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think um, obviously what Bugatti do is is unbelievable. Another level. They, they are nuts. But, but, but the Koenigsegg is obviously it's that wild it's the wild crazy cousin to the Chiron yeah. like the Chiron is like that sort of like prim and proper refined luxury like I can imagine them being like the sort of like the sensible accountant uncle yeah. at a family gathering where like the crazy drunk uncle is the Kernet yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like the most entertaining but yeah if you just piss them off a little bit you'll probably die yeah <laughs> <laughs> and that is I think for me at the moment if I look at crazy hyper nuts cars 
Koenig's eggs are they're sort of the, the top of the food chain, really. Um, yeah. I, I do love a crazy Zonda. Yep. But I don't really care about a crazy Huayra. No. Um, so that for me, they're the they're sort of the top of the food chain in that. Yeah, I think but it depends on what you want. But I think Pagani went a little bit down in my estimations when they brought the wire out because the Zonda was so crazy. Yeah. And you can see how crazy and successful that car is because people are still hyping Zondas, owning them and buying them yeah. and then convert over the wire. Like the wire is cool. Like, don't get me wrong, but it's not a Zonda. Yeah. And how many, I, I sort of wonder how many Zondas they sell now versus how many Huayras they sell now. What rate? As in people buying yeah. old Zondas, sending them back to the factory, giving them another couple of million euros, and so, then yeah. getting a 760, yeah. 800 LM, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, well, I mean, I think we'll probably both have the same answer as if we just won the lottery tomorrow and won like 50 which mil, which one would you buy? You'd go for a Zonda 760 and you just yeah. throw as much money at someone <laughs> who's willing to sell it yeah. as possible. So that's the when you not that they replaced the wire with the zonda but you know they bought it out it's the most recent and current model and it's not as fulfilling as the zonda that's saying something which kind of sucks because i love pagani but koenig's egg is up there (laughs) it's just like wild and the jesco looks so cool so cool so badass and the tech the tech i remember i think it was tim's video a few people did videos walking around the car and he's like oh conventional gearbox is like 150 kilos this one's 40 and you can handle (laughs) three times the power yeah (laughs) and then yeah (laughs) i can't wait to see them on the road because i know that they're going to be used in the koenigsegg community like we'll just go and road we'll see them we'll see them everywhere exactly so yeah super cool badass well thanks very much for coming on thank you it's been thoroughly enjoyed chat yeah I've, 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 I, I love podcasts. I yeah, love this. I love this format. I love just chatting and and kind of letting the conversation go because, like, like we've said, videos and YouTube like it ends up being like this sort of edited, condensed version of it. And this is like just sort of like unedited, just out there. This is just like standard chat. Exactly. <laughs> we we should probably host a podcast in a pub or something. Yeah. And just like have constant beers and the the conversation. And it's a like, first person to offend everyone wins. <laughs> no, but thank you for having me. It's been good fun. Cool. Well, thanks very much for coming on. And that's all right. Awesome. See you later. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods 
for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.